You're listening to an episode from Season 2 of The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association. Just search for The Player's Voice wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find plenty more conversations like these. Enjoy! OTB GAA Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we are joined by Antrim hurler Donal Nugent. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and a performance and wellbeing consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. Having struggled with addiction to alcohol and cocaine, Donal Nugent spent three months in residential rehabilitation. He is now an addiction facilitator and the founder of Let's Face It, where he raises mental health awareness and releases his own weekly podcast. During this powerful conversation, Donal and I reflect on our respective mental health journeys and share our different experiences of hitting rock bottom, reaching out for help, and lessons learned in recovery. The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career, and transitions. Please go to bio 360 .com to learn more. If you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and are impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, please check out the likes of the Samaritans, Pieta House or Quinn Moira. But for now, please sit back, relax and enjoy part one of our two-part special with Donald Nugent on The Player's Voice. Donald Nugent, you're very welcome to The Player's Voice. Really, really happy to have you on. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, you're an Antrim hurler. You're an addiction facilitator. You're the founder of Let's Face It. So to kick us off, I was just going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on so far. Yeah, firstly, on like thanks very much for for having me. Um, I've been following the, the Player's Voice there since it launched, like, and I think it's a it's an invaluable tool for us as players, uh, and I suppose for supporters even too. For like, it's very often you know supporters are maybe just turn up the game on Sunday and not really getting to no one understand the people behind uh, what we're actually doing every week. Do you know what I mean? So and it's, it's a big, big part of my values and my beliefs. So I think it's a great job you're doing. So thanks for having me. But yeah, my name's my name's Donald Legend, and I'm from I'm from West Belfast here in County Antrim, and. Uh, I suppose, um, like today, we were just chatting there before, like my life is good. I've found a balance in my life. I'm genuinely sort of content and happy within me and my own skin. Um, but it wasn't always like that, as, 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 as you know, and I suppose we'll get into it a wee bit more later on and you've been there yourself. But I suppose a quick background. I, I was in Sister Concilio's Kiyomura, uh, would be nearly four years ago now in June, which is a rehabilitation, uh, center. Uh, where I finally flew to Tallinn. I was addicted to cocaine and alcohol. Um, I suppose even going back a wee bit deeper and further, like from a child, I, um, I always lost myself within, you know, up against the wall, like playing games, 
coaching, maybe even in school, you know, everything, my whole life was revolved around the GA. And that was due to what was going on at home, basically. Like the hurling the football field was was my safe place. Um, I went through quite a traumatic childhood, which I'll talk about in a bit here. Um, but that, but basically, I was an addict long before I picked up a drink or picked up a drug. Um, Alan, and like the whole way through school, I was quite successful in terms of you know individual awards even with my club St John's we were um, very very successful a minor and under 21s uh, going into maybe even like sixth year uh, I was head boy in the school we have a thing up here in Ulster or you're suppose you, you're an Ulster man uh, like college is all stars in school like I yeah. I, I had three colleges all stars like in, in, in fifth year um, lower sixth and upper sixth and, and by right you're only supposed to really get them things whenever you're upper sixth getting ready to go to university you know and, and I think and it was nothing to do with talent it was just to do with me just being obsessed because it was my sort of it was my outlet mm-hmm. and then um, you get the 18 I got I was head boy in the school got me A-level results and I got set, accepted in the, the St Mary's Teaching College there in the Falls Road and uh the start, it was quite good. I was captain of our freshers football team. I was midfield along with Cahill McShane there from Throne. Like, and like, I was probably a role model to a lot of people. I was a role model to a lot of people. And, um, do you ever see the advert on, on TV? Um, there's a guy, I party him of all his friends and he comes home and he looks in the mirror and he sort of pulls the mask off mm-hmm. and he can't really look or doesn't really know what he's facing in the mirror. That was kind of me, even at a school level. Um, we have a place called the Holy Lands and uh, it's sort of the, the, the student area where everyone goes and lives or whatever. And that's whenever I was probably firstly exposed to alcohol. Right. Um, and just to put it in the, in the context, like uh, there would be addiction within my family, like, you know, and I sort of grew up not wanting to get involved in that. And because like hurling and football meant so much to me, I always sort of was like, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do drugs. I'm just going to be the best hurler in Antrim or the best footballer in Antrim. Because, like at Upper Sixth, I played two national leagues, like hurling and football uh, for, for Antrim seniors. Like, and, you know, so that's that's sort of the level in terms of where I was at, 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 at that age. So like drink wasn't really on the radar, but of course, and I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge drink. I'm definitely not a hypocrite or anything like that. And I actually sort of, I'm all for the sort of student life and mystery tours and getting to know people. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, but not whenever you have all this madness going on in your head, what I had from, from when I was a child. Like, um, and I, I started drinking then. Um, but as I say there, it was sort of casual enough. And then before I knew it, but then probably a six month period. I, I stopped going to university, stopped right. going to classes, spent most days in the pub. Um, and then that summer I got, got asked to go over to play football in Boston. I was over playing for, for Wolf Tones over there. And that's, that was, that was probably the first time sort of drugs were maybe in my radar, but never really said, I I'll, I'll take them. But when I came back, I remember one night in the Holy Lands, uh, one of the boys put out a plate, and there was a load of cocaine on the plate. And I think this is important to note too, like, like that I feel like if I didn't take the coke, that I wouldn't fit into that particular friend group. Absolutely. That I feel like if, uh, you know, they made a thought that it was a big woos or something like that, you know, I, like I did feel all them things, but, but I didn't, I, I, rem- and I remember that night clearly. Like I, I made the choice. 
I made the choice to, to be like, yeah, get, I'll take a line of that cocaine. And straight away, I felt an instant sort of relief, a different sort of energy, a different sort of escape. And I wouldn't say I was addicted to it straight away, but it, it definitely made me start thinking like, Jesus, this has given me a wee bit of confidence. Um, but again, inside about a, a six month period after that, it was it was my life. I was I just couldn't function without it because of all that crazy stuff going on in my head. The cocaine became a big part of my life. Alcohol became, and it wasn't just a couple of pints. It was Jameson. Do you know it was all, it was this? It was hard. It was hardcore stuff. And and I completely lost the run of myself. But I was kind of living off the reputation now as Donald Nugent for, at an eighteen year old. So I was still getting kind of opportunities to go into different places like America and then Warwickshire came calling uh, over in England and obviously there's a few pounds floating about England and you get a few pounds to play or whatever. Don't know if you're allowed to say that out loud, but <laughs> but but it was like, and and I was walking about, uh, I was on a building site too and it, whenever I was 20 years of age, I was going about Birmingham with two grand a week cash in my pocket with no one holding me accountable. Me not really having a purpose or like any values or didn't really know who that person was sort of looking back in the mirror and uh, it was just self-destruct and it, and it kind of got to a stage where it did get to a stage where I was just locking myself in my room in England. Like, and I remember one particular night, um, we all have sort of medicine cupboards in our houses and I went in and wiped out the whole medicine cupboard, brought it into the edge of my bed with a bottle of whiskey and just taking tablets and drank this bottle of whiskey and just hoping that I would never wake up again. Um, and that was, that was, that was very, very scary because I remember the next day, Gavin Duffy, who's a, who's actually from Belfast, he was overtaking the, he was overtaking the Warwickshire team and uh, he came in and he was sort of got me a survey, thankfully, like, but he, he sort of brought me around a bit. And, uh, and of course I, I was, he was, I remember him saying to me one night in Birmingham airport, Donald, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was like, Gavin, I don't want to be here. And he was like, well, we'll go home. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to be alive. I, I just can't face this anymore. But of course, me being me, I got on the plane, went home and then pretended like, ah, my life's perfect. It's okay. I'm putting on this perception again. And a lot of it was my ego. A lot, and, and, and I'm able to say that now, but a lot of it was my ego and, and me sort of putting on this perception to other people that my life is sort of perfect and look at all these opportunities that I'm getting. But I, I even noticing like patterns of behavior. And again, these are only things that I learned from concilios and actually doing the work with them myself. Like I used to jump from friend group to friend group or relationship to relationship because I wasn't comfortable with people com becoming close to me. So anytime, like say we're in the club there and people be like, Jesus, he's drinking an awful lot or he's taking, he looks like he's, he's taking drugs. Then I'd be like, right. They're noticing the real Donald Nugent here. I need to do something mad to, to, to try and jump ship or whatever. And I, I, I transferred clubs mm. uh, here in Belfast. I transferred from St. John's to Lav Jerk, who are probably our biggest rivals. Um, and in, in 2017, I won a championship with Lav Jerk, a senior football championship. And even like, even that, you know... <laughs> I'll go into a wee bit, like my dad was the manager of St. John's that day. My brother, Podrick, was doing, was doing nets for St. John's and there was five, five minutes, five minutes left in the game and, 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 and Landerg were two or three points up and Podrick got the ball and he went to put it on the tee and I made a beeline for Podrick mm. and put the ball outside of Glen Navy, outside of the pitch in the terrace and Podrick came over and sort of half hit me 
But of course, I rolled around the ground and making a big scene of this. And Portrait got a straight red. And, you know, there was a big uproar of row and the pitch or whatever. And uh, Landberg won the championship. And that was probably the worst day of my life, you know, because like, you know yourself, the GA isn't, it's not really just a hobby for us. Like, you know what I mean? It's a way of life. It's, it's, it's just means so much and so much to our families and our communities. And, and I used to, even growing up, like on Bebo, like my password for Bebo, it used to be the 170320 dot dot. So the 17th of the third, 2000 mm. and whatever. And that's whenever the All-Ireland Club Finals used to be in Croke Park on St. Patrick's Day. And that was always my dream to grow up and just play with my club in St. Patrick's Day, All-Ireland Final Day. And I just, I went to bed every night sort of thinking about it. Again, that escapism from a child. And uh, and just seeing, like looking over across in the presentation that day and seeing my dad and seeing Podrick and seeing like everybody, all my best friends, um, heartbroken. Mm. And me being a part of that, it just, it was... It, it, it was genuinely just made me completely within myself. But again, me being me, and I suppose like the traits or whatever of addicts, because I've worked with them every day now, it's like papering over cracks. And of course, I was putting up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram that night, like that, you know, there won't be a cow milk in Hannistown. And I'm not making a joke out of it. And then the day after, I actually met Podrick, my brother, in a nightclub. And we got in a photo together and I put up that blood's sicker than water and blah, blah, blah. It's irrelevant of what happens in, in, on a pitch or... Um, but that was probably the last time I really had a proper conversation with Patrick for about three years. Um, and that's whenever my life just went downhill big time. Like, and England actually happened after that. Uh, sorry, just, uh, I got to No, you're good. England, England happened after that. And like, I came home, I came home from England. I don't even know how, but I come home with about 20, 21, 22 grand in, in my bank account. And I was like, right, if I go back here and sort of get, have a deposit for a house. Um, I'll get a house. What I'll do then is I'll transfer back to my club, St. John's. I'll get back in with the people who I grew up with. Then I'll be okay. Then I'll be okay. I'll be able to start again. My problems won't come with me, blah, blah, blah. You know all this. Mm. One thing that I've learned that is no matter where you go, no matter how many different friends you get, no matter how, girl, how many girlfriends you get, like how many fresh starts you want, like if you don't sort out what's going on internally, mm. then you're in trouble. Like, Within six months, like I did transfer back to St. John's, but within six months, I had nothing. All that 20 odd grand was put up my nose or down my neck. And like, and I remember, I'll never forget this night. I was walking down the lane in St. John's and one of the boys said to me, Donald, do you want to lift home? And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you're grand. No playing a cool again. Like, and at this stage, I was living out of a rucksack. And right. uh, I went in the, I went in the pub there in the Falls Road and come back out and, and, went to get more money out or whatever and there's nothing in the bank account and I remember looking up at the sky and going what am I going to do I like you know I'm 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 and this was all due to just not being honest with people because mm -hmm. I did have people in my life who genuinely wanted to help me um but again back to me ego and back to all these things that I would rather have laying under a bus shelter I would have rather sofa surf for six months or whatever than actually tell people this is what actually is going on in my head um and I remember after after that night, like going down the lane and stuff like that, I remember I woke up on my granny's porch and it was very seldom that I would have done that, you know. And uh, I suppose anyone who follows me on Instagram or any of my social medias, I have an Uncle Eamon who's, who's Down syndrome and he's he's my best friend in the whole world. Like, and we have been since I was born. Like, I love him to bits. 
And my granny opened the door and she was in tears, but Eamon was over her shoulder in absolute tears as well. And it's a vision that I'll never, ever forget. And they were just saying, please, don't know, will you just go and get some help? And it was then that I probably knew, Alan, that if I, if I wasn't going to go get help, the next thing that they'd be planning for me here was a funeral. Yes. And, uh, and this, and this sort of next part shows the importance of the, I suppose, the GAA and the community and how, how lucky we are to be involved in such a, a community, um, which is the GAA. And I, there's this guy called Paddy Hannigan and he's from St. John's. And from my, from when I was about 15 or 16, he always used to say to me, if you ever need anything, give me a shout. If you ever need anything, give me a shout. And I was going, what would I need that Egypt for? Like, he, he, do you know what I mean? Like, and of course me playing it cool, but I rang Paddy Hannigan that day. And the phone rang twice and he just answered the phone and he says, are you ready? And I was going, hi, Paddy, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I think I'm ready. And he came over to me and he was asking, he came over to my granny, he was there within half an hour and he was asking what the crack was. And um, I told him, I was just honest, uh, I was drinking the way I was drinking, I was taking drugs the way I was taking drugs. And we phoned Sister Concilios. Um, yeah, and on the 3rd, of, the 3rd of June, 2019, I, I admitted myself in there and I knew, um, uh, for me, for, for me to go there and for me to actually want the help and want the change that I knew I needed to start being honest. Like I, I've never, I'd never been honest in my life because of these things that, that I talked about at the start with my childhood and the trauma and stuff like that. And the, the day I started being honest on was the day I thought that I had a wee bit of a glimmer of hope. And I remember my key worker at the time was was Willie O'Connor. He's from Dublin and uh, who's actually, we're really, really close now and do a lot of work with each other now. And I said to him, Willie, would I be able to get a chat with you? And I built this whole thing up and I, 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 which, you know, I was carrying it with me from my whole life, I suppose, and went in and had the conversation. It lasted 10 minutes, but I told him what was going on. And what was going on was that that I went through sexual abuse whenever I was a, ch- a child. Um, and... Like it wasn't just the incident or incidents that happened that that made me the way I was in terms of escapism, but like going back to even that eighteen year old who's in the who's in St Mary's University, like has the world at his feet. Like I remember at eighteen years of age, I'm going down into the town, and we have a nightclub called the Kremlin, which is a gay bar, and uh, I'm standing in the middle of the Kremlin, looking around me, going, "Is this what I am? Am I?" Not that there's anything wrong with, with with people like her gay or anything like that, but I was in such a mixed up, insecure, didn't was questioning my own sexuality because I couldn't have, you know, sex with girls. And then I was going like even had girlfriends at the time. And if I couldn't have sex, then I was doing something crazy, cheating on them or stealing or doing lying or doing whatever. So they wouldn't really know who the real me was. So that conversation lasted 10 minutes on. And honestly, it was it was amazing. And not that the problem went away or anything like that, because I'm, it's something that I have to work on. I'm still away this morning doing bits and pieces, uh, working on that and trying to do my somatic stuff and, you know, which is great. But whenever I had that conversation with Willie, he was able to then say, hold on, but there's such and such is going through that, such and such is going through that. And I went, what? I thought I was the only person in the whole world that was going through what I was going through. Um, so it was then that I sort of got a, got a glimmer of hope and I had a journal and for anyone that's listening, maybe struggling, like, and maybe we'll get into what you do to keep yourself well too. Uh, but anyone who like, I see journaling and writing down how you're feeling, like it's the best thing. And I still do it every day now, but I wrote at the bottom of it. 
And I don't know where this came from. Be excited about who you want to become. And every day, no matter if it was a crap day, a good day, anything different, it was be excited about who you want to become. And in, in rehab, like you have, you have no TV, you have no newspapers, you have no contact with the outside world. But what you do have is an imagination, <laughs> do you know? And it was then that I, I didn't know what it was called. I do now. And it was called visualization. So I was going to bed every night going like, like, what could I be? Like, what could, like, and I was seeing myself in Croke Park with Antrim and I was seeing myself maybe standing in front of people, like talking and like showing people that like, like this is how you can get better. Like I went through all this and get out of it. And you know, it sort of gave me so much energy and, uh, yeah. And it was then that it was just like, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this and keep working on myself. And I was there for three months and, uh, and it genuinely, it genuinely changed my life. It, it actually gave me a life. To be right. honest, it gave, it gave me a life. And and ever since then, it's just been constant work on myself, I suppose. But that's a, <laughs> long and short of my uh, journey, I suppose, to where, when I got the rehab on. And, and like I would often call it the journey of no destination. And I suppose mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into that a bit more now. Um, yeah, in terms so of ups and obstacles. Obviously, it goes without saying, first of all, thank you for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, as I just listened to you there, like even heading into this conversation, Donald, I knew there was going to be loads to talk about. And I feel like you've done such a powerful and amazing job kind of giving the overview of that journey. And then kind of what I'd like from this conversation in terms of is just kind of revisiting kind of key moments on that and maybe taking the conversation to a second layer. Because one of the things that comes to mind with me as I just as listening to you there is like there's so many different ways in this universe that we live in for someone to reach rock bottom. So many things can happen in life. Um and you've given us such a good snapshot and insight there into into how you arrived to that point. And obviously, as you touched upon, I have my own experiences on on, on that side of it. And Usually with the player's voice in every episode up till now, Donald, like I kind of we've done a question and answer and we kind of dig in and kind of put all the limelight on you but I suppose from our conversations over the last couple of weeks I felt it would be nice to kind of try and do more of a deep dive into kind of mental health issues and kind of key points of that journey um and I'm kind of very appreciative and very aware of what you've shared with me there and I suppose before we kind of start that journey I was just gonna I feel like I I feel compelled to give you the opportunity to like do you have you obviously have your own podcast and we're going to cross this over with let's face it but is there anything kind of on my own journey on my side that you'd like to know for me kind of before we kind of start digging into kind of some of those points around reaching out for help around getting treatment around staying well yeah absolutely like and Alan, i've been reading like the last the last couple of weeks different articles that you're doing and the books that you've had and and to be honest like this goes as far back as whenever you sort of come out and talked about your mental ill health or your journey like no one was really talking about it then like, like I had people who I could look at the likes, you know, who were public and be like, do you know what, such and such, you get through it so I can get through it. Especially within the GAA, like you were kind of, you know, one of the first to actually come out and be public. Like how, how did that even make you feel on making that breakthrough in terms of making things public? But even before you answer that, I, I sort of wanted to get into, you know, maybe... <laughs> Like obviously, mine all stems from like a tra- a trauma uh, mm-hmm. with a sexual abuse, and, and I'm okay talking about that now. And this is only a recent thing being able to talk about that. But do you think that even from your experience that this comes from a particular stem of of like an incident, or is it what was yours due to insecurities, or where do you think yours actually came from in terms of the depression and not feeling good about yourself? Um. Yeah, it's a great question. I suppose. 
where I go back to and for anyone that doesn't know, like, so I would have gone public in 2013, actually. It's just, yeah. it's coming up to the 10 year anniversary of me publishing mm. that piece. Um, like I was playing McCavan at the time and like, yeah, I actually, like, I think I was the first like active player to kind of go public, like in, in terms of I'm playing, I'm dealing with this issue. It's active. It wasn't like me, you know, a retired player looking back, kind of reflecting back on it. It was, and to your, like to the point you made there, like I wanted to change it. Like I kind of knew deep down that, I was like, right, I'm going to be, I'm going to try, like, break this glass ceiling. Like, I'm going to open up a national conversation here and also give other people the space to come forward. And I know there's names come to mind. Like, you're, obviously, we we're talking today. There's Chris Kerr, there's Shane Carty, there was Connor Cusick, like, Barry Hennessy. There's, like, loads of names I could say now. But at the time, I didn't really have a reference point of, of yep. somewhere to go or to turn to. And I wanted to, I was still dealing with my stuff, but I wanted to change it and... To answer your, the second part of your question, like there wasn't, a, there wasn't one big issue. There wasn't a trauma of like an abuse, or there wasn't a, um, there wasn't an addiction, or there, there wasn't like one big thing, Donald. But I suppose what there was was a series of smaller things that added up because I couldn't process what I was thinking, feeling, and I didn't know how to take better, like the right actions to take. Like I did what we've all probably done variations of at times is suppress, compress, push down, smile, wear a mask and pretend I'm doing okay. And in the middle of all that journey, one of the mistakes I did make was, and I touched, like I relate to some of what you talked about already, like my athletic identity became who I was. So Al Namara, the footballer, if I was playing well, if Kevin were going well, I could kind of, you know, things were going well for me or I would certainly pretend. Well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and anyone that's listened to this, like the time I was growing up playing for Calvin, like we weren't going well that often to be perfectly honest about <laughs> it. Um, and that also like that boiled down if the team was winning. But then there was also the stuff like, you know, selection, am I playing or am I not? Like that was, that was defining my self-worth. So if I was in the team, yes, I'm good, I'm worthy. But if I wasn't, I was a goalkeeper. So there was only one spot to get into. Like if it wasn't, then that would start kind of eating and clawing at me. Um, but I give like an overview of what will come to mind of issues that happen in that kind of period of time is... Like the death of my granddad, who was like the first person who I loved that like died. And I didn't know how to handle like bereavement. I didn't know how to handle that grief. I came to the end of like a long-term relationship with a girlfriend who from my teenage years, you know, like your first true love mm -hmm. and that kind of, when you're a teenager, like this is the one we're going to be together forever, which like wasn't the case and isn't the case often, but I didn't know that. Um, was in a college course I wasn't enjoying, like... I suppose all that, I, I didn't really know who I was or what I was about, Cap felt I was capable of more. So all I did was f sport and football became that thing to just be like, okay, I'll wear that mask all the time. But mm. th there was other parts to me and the kind of, as the years went on, you felt like they were, I wasn't being true to myself, was being inauthentic. And it just became this energy drain where I felt like I was an actor in my own life almost. <laughs> um, and like, I, th I think it kind of came to a, it's bottom. And I know like some of my stuff, even like from listening to what you've described, like it sounds so, some of mine genuinely will sound almost like trivial and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, but I came to the end of another 21 journey where we had a breakthrough win. We won Ulster, the first Cavan team to like win anything in so long. So it was like, this huge like ordeal, such a huge achievement. And then I kind of trans, I, I advanced like the senior setup and it just became such an anticlimax so quickly. Like I didn't feel the connection. I didn't feel the escapism. I didn't feel like the, almost like the love of the game around me. And so when that was taken away, 
all the other issues which had been burning away, like it just collapsed. And when in a six month period, I basically, easiest way to describe was when in a six month period, I went from playing in Crow Park, chasing my dreams, living my dream, to hitting the My Rock Bottom where for the first time, suicidal feelings became, or sorry, suicidal thoughts became suicidal feelings. And then like, they almost became a suicidal action. And that was the first time where I use a little triangle, like what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Okay, what action am I going to take? That was the first time where I was like, that nearly, I, I nearly did that. Um, and that just, you know, that just shook me to my core. Um, to the point of, you know, visualizing yourself dying, visualizing yourself, your, my parents at my funeral, for example. Like I remember seeing it, my parents in my local church standing beside my coffin crying. And that's what pulled me out of, of that moment. And um, was, was that you talked about visualization earlier, like there's visualization on the other side of it, like the, the and like that's, that would be kind of the snapshot of, of what happened though. And I kind of, I did want to kind of touch upon like how different my journey would be to yours, you know, like how different those issues are, but yeah. also how we both ins arrive at the same point, like a question and everything, question yourself, ultimately thinking, do I even want to be alive? Yeah. I, I actually think that it's really, really important here, Alan, the very fact that, okay, whenever people kind of hear my story or whatever happened, they'd be like, Jesus, that must have been terrible. Or, you know, and then obviously yours is different and, and it's community, like a, a lot of different things, but we felt the same way mm -hmm. whenever we were in rock bottom. So no matter what, and I, this is, and I actually wanted to ask you two questions here regarding that. Like whenever you felt in that sort of rock bottom, did you be like, oh, but hold on a minute. My problems aren't even that bad compared to Johnny down the street or whatever. James, who's just something really bad's just happened to him. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's really important to note because whenever we're in a, as you say, we just suppress them things then. As in a society we live in, especially in, in Ireland, and I suppose in the North, our parents and their parents were brought up, I suppose, during troubles or whatever, they brought up to say nothing, you know, say nothing and get on with it. And I suppose, especially in here in Belfast and and like and we're a man and man up and stuff like that, but it doesn't really matter what the problem is. It's the feeling that is the consequence of the problem. So for anyone who's listening, who maybe think I'm really, really struggling, but my problems aren't as bad as whatever it, they are because our feelings are the same and we have to tackle that. But see, even just going back a tiny bit there on see, see, see whenever you were playing. And I think this is really, really important because being like, and I'm probably on the fringes of Antrim and it, that's, was probably hard to accept because I was coming back feeling like I was going to be like 18 year old and I'm the best player in the county and mm -hmm. sometimes and I've I had to accept that that's just not you know the way things are going to be did you did you worry about what other people were were, 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 were saying about Alan Lamar like you know were you comparing yourself to the other goalkeeper I'm not as good as him or was there any was there any of that in terms of like how you viewed yourself body image or whatever nah like I think like by the time I like spoke about all the stuff and that, like I'd obviously done two, three bodies of, I would call them two, three like blocks of training and counseling where I'd kind of really dug in yeah. and built myself up enough where I felt okay. Like I am comfortable in my own skin. I'd be lying to say there wasn't insecurity there. Like I'd yeah. be lying to say that um, after releasing the article, like 
getting back into the team i was like yeah like i like if i don't get back into the team am i just this like sad person that just like has a sympathy story and can't even get playing on the team like i'd be lying if those thoughts weren't there but i suppose the big difference is kind of as we've just touched upon like as you go on that journey of well-being like you start realizing okay what am i thinking like to be honest with you we all have like hundreds thousands of thoughts all like a day a lot of them aren't true or a lot of them aren't real like and then it's okay what am i feeling okay so let's say i think yeah look at you writing your article you got all that praise but you can't even get in the team like you're a loser like you're still like you're crap like you're you're fraud and i go okay how does that make me feel okay maybe i feel like embarrassed maybe i feel angry but then i get to choose how i respond to it then i get to choose like my action and it's like okay what am i going to do about it like um sometimes as you said that could be journaling being like yeah that is stupid like and the talk comes in and it's gone and see you later maybe it is hey i'm gonna go back to my counselor i'm gonna dig into this and have a conversation about it um so I definitely would be lying if I said that it wasn't challenging. But I suppose the, the big thing for me was when I separated Alomara, the person from Alomara, the player, Donald, was that like, I felt comfortable to step away from the game at different times. Up until when yes. I went for help, no matter, I just was like lost in this thing. And I'd be like, grind, persevere, be resilient, you know, like keep the like chin up, chest out, all those kind of stereotypes. But there was times then afterwards where I just stepped away from the game. So like 2014, I was struggling again, gone through the National League, wasn't getting in the team, played the last National League game, was coming into the championship. And I was like, I'm I'm, go I'm going to step away from here because this is bringing me down. And as much as I thought I'd piece it together, I hadn't. Mm. Um, so didn't play 14, didn't play 15, came back in 16. Um much better in terms of where I'm at myself. Basically, was a backup keeper all year 2016, but at that point was way better equipped to deal with it and actually took joy in my role within the group in terms of being part of it and being plugged into it. So yeah, like the... Definitely was challenging. Um, mm. And I suppose like the other thing I wanted to touch upon just from what you said there is like the difference kind of one of the things we do and def I definitely would relate to as an athlete is like we compare ourselves to other people like yeah well if he can do that like I can do that or if like he can handle that I can handle that like it's mm -hmm. with, with mental health and well-being like it's never a competition it's not who can endure the most like that's not the prize for this stuff yep. it's mm -hmm. and how you arrive at that point is there's as, like I said earlier there's so many different things that can happen to us all resilience levels are different like issues backstories are all different it's not a set equation of like um like we're it's not an even competition, basically. No. Um, and the but big the same thing, destination. <laughs> yes. And it's like, the big thing is that like, when you reach those points, is that like, um, you internalize it and you shame yourself. And I, the one thing I did want to say, is even as I was saying my stuff don't like, it sounded trivial compared to what you described. But I remember feeling like I was the only person in the world feeling that way. That's what I remember. I remember thinking you like the shame, the guilt, no one else feels like this, only me. And I suppose I just want to kind of hammer home that like, that's just like not true. Like, mm -hmm. um, and like how you arrived to your granny's porch versus how I arrived to driving down the motorway thinking about crashing my car into a wall. It doesn't really matter because that's where we are. And as people then and as humans, like, it's okay. How am I going to move forward here? And that was kind of where I wanted to go next with this to throw it to you. Like I always, when I reflect on that time, like describe it as like a U-shaped valley. And yes, I was high, all was good or, you know, certainly looked like it was good and then you end up there's like this journey downwards and it can happen at different rates of pace different steeps 
um, or different slopes, but you ultimately arrive at this bottom. And I feel like me and you could spend, honestly, like about six hours talking about everything <laughs> that went wrong in our lives. And I think we've both given a fair overview of the kind of backstory of what happened. Mm. And I just, I throw it to you, but like, I would feel more comfortable and kind of, I feel like the conversation would be more helpful to talk about like the rock bottom moment itself and then kind of advancing from there. Yeah. Um, I yep. don't know if that's your feeling or if it was that and kind of you, anything you did want to dig into in terms of backstories or kind of getting to that point. No, and I, I actually, and this is could open up a whole new can of worms because it's actually my, like obviously I was beating, like for my good out of rehab, say, like you go into Alcoholics Anonymous and, and people who are struggling with gambling go to GA and NA for narcotics and stuff like that. And, it helped me get well at a time, but you're going into your room, Alan, and you're constantly talking about what happened. Mm-hmm. Like you're constantly bringing up of what we just talked about. Like, and you're doing maybe doing this two, three, four times a week. Like, so where's the where's the progression? Where's the getting on with like a new life or a new start or like do, do, do you know what I mean? And I I listened to a lot of podcasts and massively in the podcast and and the diary of the CEO Stephen Bartlett done with, with Jimmy Carr one time and Jimmy Carr, the, the comedian and Jimmy Carr, uh, had the first 20 years of his life was shocking, like very, very bad. And he actually says, okay, so say on average, we live until we're 80. He's like the first 20 years of my life was crap. So am I going to let like the first quarter of my life mm. be dictated? You know, am I going to let that dictate the next three quarters or am I going to let the first, or am I going to use the first quarter as ammunition for the next three quarters of my life to push on? And I, I listened to that one day and went, wow, it was so powerful. And it's so true because we, like, and you just said there, you're not Alan Lamar, or the footballer or the athlete or whatever. I'm not Donald Nugent, the alcoholic or the drug addict or the person that was in rehab. You're not that the Alan Lamar who, who, who's depressed. No, that's not us. And that's, and I suppose that's why to be excited about who you want to become and stuff like that came in there because I wanted a future and wanted to push on, but also knowing that, you know, this is going to be with me and it is the journey with no destination. We do need to keep working on ourselves and, and constantly, you know, having our guard up for want of a better term, maybe. But I just think that I, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's that staying, staying well part and making that next step and being like, you know what, this has happened. Okay. But how can I, I suppose, move on with my life? And I think it's like just seeing what you're doing. I suppose what I'm doing now, like I, I launched, uh, let's face it, um, about a year ago now, I have a weekly podcast to do a lot of work within schools and businesses and I have live events, you know, wellness events, not sort of doom and gloom it's like right this is what we can actually do with our lives if we keep on top of these things and that's mm-hmm. I suppose what I maybe even want to get into next in terms of you it's nearly like maintenance I suppose isn't it and maybe like checking in with ourselves and what I suppose we both do even to, to look after our, our mental health and well-being and there's a couple of things that you even said there about like even Kevin if they're doing well you're doing well uh, and then you said about maybe you, you made that separation and I wanted to ask you, like, how, how did you make that separation? And because like, I'd be a big believer in not putting happiness in anyone else's cup, sure. you know, and, and, and filling up my own cup first. Like, so how, like, in terms of that separa- separation and being like, do you know what? I'm all no more. I have a lot of things going on mm-hmm. in my life, which are great, which I want to do. It's my purpose, but this is who I really am. And I, I'm able to sit on a, maybe a Saturday night and watch a film. I'm not worried about what everyone's saying or the world or any madness. Like what, how do you make that separation? Um, 
I think I, like if I was to jump back a couple of years, like I think definitely when I was in my early twenties, like I used to always feel like I just wore whatever environment I was in, like I would kind of wear a mask to match that. So like if I was in work, I was Al Namara at work. If I was at football, I was Al Namara the footballer, and I kind of felt like I was. I don't want it to sound extreme, like I was some like kind of like you know like mad person like just like with multiple personalities but I did always feel like I was adapting to be where I was rather than who I am um and how I actually broke it down was I like you you go into it you go into a therapy situation which for me was talk therapy and you kind of go okay like I always remember having a conversation with him and he was like like who are you and I was like what like and he was like like how would you describe yourself and I was like what's this fella talking about like I got me I'm Al Lamar I'm the footballer and I just I couldn't get to that second level or like never mind the third level of kind of like what I'm about who I am um but if I think how I, I actually start getting there was I ended up like I kind of start like looking at my life as there was a series of pillars. Like, so there was my family, there was my friends, there was my sport, there was my work, there was my hobbies, there was my well-being. And at, at any stage in life, like things go good, things go bad. All those pillars are constantly moving basically. Like, so like if one is going well, maybe it's covering for one that's not, or if one's not going well, I can lean on the next one. Um, but the, the mistake I made when I was younger was that like, even if I knew I had those pillars, football was this like massive skyscraper that just dominated all of them. So like everything else would be sacrificed for that. Um, and I was readdressing that balance over time. And again, like it wasn't this big breakthrough for me. There wasn't like a big moment, but it was just like constantly, I suppose, if to really bring it back to one thing, like it'd be the self-awareness of like kind of like what's going on, like what's happening around me. And like, I don't want that to sound wishy-washy, but it was just becoming more attuned to my world rather than like my sport um, and making sure that I was looking after those various things. And it would kind of lead me back to one of the things you were talking about earlier, though, like, and I know you, you're probably talking about it from the alcohol and like the cocaine perspective. And to me, listen to you, it's like, that's just giving you escapism from what's going on inside you. And likewise, for me, there was definitely times where like my GA life was my escapism, but there's definitely also times where honestly, like I, I don't, like I was never like addicted to alcohol, but there was definitely times I was choosing to drink more than I should have been. Cause that was a place I was going to in terms of escapism. Um, and it was again. That's back to self awareness. So you start realizing, oh, I'm doing that. I'm going. I'm going on a night out to blow off steam because I can't process what I'm, what's happening over here. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of one of the ways I I readdressed that balance. And I suppose I, I throw the question straight back at you: Is like, what was what was your experience of trying to to re? I suppose put the pieces of that puzzle back together again. Yeah, <laughs> and I think. It's a hard, it's kind of a hard question, isn't it? But it, it's, it's an important one. And I, I think again, through the self-awareness and through the work. And I think for people even maybe listening and going like, like I was so fixated in being the best hurler in Antrim or the best footballer in Antrim, like as a consequence to what, do you know what I mean? So if, and let's be very, very realistic, like even not even just the best, but the best and maybe even Ireland. And do you mm. know what I like, you're not going to be the best hurler in Ireland if you're playing for Antrim. Let's be realistic. Do you know what I mean? So why could like 
why can I not? So if I'm focusing and focusing and focusing and putting all my energy into being the best and wanting validation of people who are standing on the, or in the stands or in the stand or management or all these people, if I play well, then it was a pat on the back. And again, I can relate a lot to what you said there about if I'm on the if I'm on the if I'm on the team, then I'm 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 sure I'm going back into the house and the McGrannies and I'm the happiest man in the world. If I'm not, then don't talk to me. And it was like. And then work, I was missing days of work and I was doing all these different things because I was trying to get into this team. Like, do you know? So if I'm focusing on trying to be the best at this and putting all my energy into that, then my mental health, I'm taking me off the ball there. Maybe my social life in terms of meeting new people or maybe meeting a girl or anything. Friends, you know what I mean? Friends with outside the GA, not really connecting with them, not really doing anything. So instead of focusing all my energy into that, I sort of found... I like to use the word balance, you know, more of a balance to life and being like, you know what? I'll, now, I'm not saying that I don't put everything into the GA and put everything in the outer part. I do, do you know, it means an awful lot to me, but it doesn't dictate what happens on from Monday to Friday. Like a Sunday afternoon does not dictate what happens. And I think that's really, I think that's how I've sort of found that balance and separation. Um, that I can get up on a Monday morning and go and work and maybe help people and do a podcast. And I suppose perspective too, uh, stepping out of what you're actually in, because I think a lot of us are in this sort of out five nights a week, training so hard, trying to maybe stay up in the league, win a championship match, whatever, that would take our eye off the ball and every, every thing, everything else. So I think that I have a good balance between my work life, my social life, uh, like at, Every Wednesday morning or this morning, like we have a wee accountability group of a couple of lads from Tyrone, like I'm going to go to hot yoga, do you know, and we're stepping out of, we're not talking about football or hurting all the time. We're, we're, we're trying to develop our lives and, uh, and help each other grow and surrounding myself with, I think we live in a society where people want to see you do well until you do well. And then they want to backstab and throw in the odd comment and they want to put you back down. So it's actually spending time with people who genuinely want you to do well at their best interest and vice versa and creating that sort of small network of friends and not having like, I used to be paranoid about not being a part of WhatsApp groups or seeing people out in the night out and being like, why am I, why did I not get invited? I, I don't know. You don't drink. That's why I didn't, you know what I mean? Why am I not involved in that? Because they all take drugs and they don't want to take drugs around you. you know, but at the time I was going, Jesus, they don't, they don't like me. I'm not cool or whatever. Whereas now I can sit back and be like, like what I just said there and asked you about, like I can sit on a Saturday night and watch a film on my own and be totally content and comfortable in my skin because of a balance in my life, of a good network of people around me. Hurling isn't the be all and end all, even though it means an awful lot to me, of a good enough wee business or of good people around me who work and do this video stuff that I haven't a clue about and I don't get stressed out about silly. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that, but again, it comes with self-awareness and it comes with, I think it all just boils down to love, Alan, too. And, and, Loving yourself. And I know that sounds a wee bit cringy or whatever too, but we had a thing in Sister Concilios and it's something that, that I work on even a lot now is, is she, she had a thing and it's very religious and it was like, I'm, I'm good. I was always good. God made me good. And you used to have to say this all the time, you know, but I would actually, and, and people say about success and, you know, and we always do compare ourselves with other people, but I, I strongly, strongly believe within myself that my success is to be able to wake up in the morning in a bed because there was times I didn't have a bed and to get up and go into the bathroom and look in the mirror, brush my teeth and look at myself and say, do you know what? You're doing all right. Mm. <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're doing okay. And, and, and see if that's all I do for the day. 
then that's a win because there's some days where I didn't even have a bed or I couldn't get up or I didn't want to face the world. And every, I genuinely, everything else is a bonus. And I think just having that simplicity and and just yeah, a good, just a good core of network of people. Um, I think people are so important to people who we surround ourselves with. So so important because, as you know, uh, we can't do this alone. You know, we yeah. can't get out of these rabbit holes on our own. Like so, and it's important even for our journey and to keep going and to keep progressing and to keep wanting to be the best person you are. Be excited about who you want to become. Is the, the people in the network of people we have around us? Like, can I jump into then to that point because I I do feel like. Let's say I talk. Let's say I talk about the usual. Would you agree with that? Sorry, which, but but what I said there about yeah. the people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. Like yeah. it's um, like I think the core point of the start of what you said was around like actually learning to accept yourself and like love yourself. And I feel like say I was listening to you there, I kind of hear and I even go back to things my own life don't love. You're actually doing a lot of stuff to fill in the blanks to avoid being by yourself to like to deal with your th- your thoughts to deal with your feelings. So it's like, yeah, I'll go train on five days a week. I'll go and do a recovery session. I'll go on the beer. I'll go to where are the lads at tonight? Where are they? I'll go like I'll basically go anywhere. And I I certainly did this to avoid being on my own, like because it was like avoiding it. But then like one of the big things I found to kind of the, the second point of what you made there, Donald, was that like. When I reached out for help, like when I opened up, one of the things that stopped me doing it for quite a period of time was I felt it would damage slash break relationships with family, friends that I had. And I'm able to obviously look back on it now, like I couldn't have been more wrong. Like my, for my experience of it was it infinitely strengthened relationships with the people in my life (laughs) that were going to be staying in my life. Um, yeah. they might, that might have been teammates, for example, that might have been mm-hmm. coaches, but in terms of the people who were going to rally around me and be there with me and for me, it infinitely strengthened them. And it also helped me link up and connect with people I'd never even met before. Like, I feel, I don't know, he won't mind me saying it because he's been on this podcast. Like I would talk to Niall McNamee like most weeks. Um, and we actually met through the shared experience of around the same time he spoke about gambling. I spoke about mental health and just you kind of find these like kindred spirits or people at the same point of a journey that are, yes, their their path to that point is different. The path they take out of that point will be different, but you're then able to kind of what you're talking about, like to support one another, to connect and feel like definitely feel that you're not alone. And like one of the, there's a funny story I often tell of like when I actually start like letting people into my cert, like my friends know what was going on. And I was live like I was in college. This is going back a good while, like. But like I was, I was in college and was living with boys that had gone to school with. And I remember like, saying to him, "Lads, hey, can I talk to you?" And like, "Can I talk to you in the kitchen for a second? And he was like, "Yeah, I'll be out in a minute." Like I'm playing FIFA, and I was like, "No, like I, I'd been building this up in my head for hours." I was like, "I need you in the kitchen now." Like, so he comes out. and He's like, "What's wrong with you? Like, what's the story?" And I kind of, mum- I, I was like, it was quiet. And then he was like, "Like, what do you want?" And I remember mumbling like, "I'm dealing with depression. I've been going to counselling the last while." And and he was like, huh? And I was like, yeah. And like in my head, I was like, crap, why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? Like the whole thing's ruined now. You're done. Like this friendship is over. And he just said, he was like, I, I went to counseling for a while last year. And I was like, what? 
Like <laughs> we've been living together, best friends, hiding these things, dipping in and out. Like, oh, I'm just popping to whatever and like going to counseling. And I was doing the same thing too. And it was one of those, like on these journeys that we all go on, like as you start like open up and reflecting, it was one of these things where there's a penny drop that I'll never forget. Like in terms of just like how little we can know about what's going on around us but also how much we get into our own heads then as well. And like that guy at that time became an incredible confidant for me. Um, then if a person, you just felt like understood like or accepted. Mm. And it was such a, it was such a key moment for me. And I suppose I, I kind of say from the perspective of you go back to surround yourself with people and stuff like, yeah, like I, I suppose I felt like it was just completely like isolated on my own and that shame and guilt. But I said by opening up, and that's kind of the key point. And it's not like, hey, stand, you don't have to walk into a room, stand up on a chair or a table, and be like, hello, everybody, <laughs> like this is what I'm dealing with. But just by getting those small little, like, like those small little conversations, those people around you, like, it, I don't, and I don't know what your experience of that was, though. But for me it really helped me feel like I could breathe a little more again. And I wasn't walking around with this monkey on my back or this like weight on my shoulders. I felt I had a little more bandwidth to actually work through this point in time. Yeah. And that's like, even whenever you're having that conversation with your friend there, there's your friendship then goes to completely new level in terms of there's a respect and there's a bond and there's a vulnerability and proper trust that you can actually and, and and listen, I, I'm massively into this, not only within life, but also in teams, like creating that bond and respect and being able to be vulnerable each other. I think it's so, so important. But you mentioned there are a few things. I did experience that with a lot of people in terms of me being sort of open and honest. A lot of people probably knew that I was taking too much drugs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but on the other side of it too, Alan, and I haven't been really, I haven't really get into that this side of it too much. There's with what happened as the consequence of me actually coming out and being open and honest, I lost people too. Yeah, I was just gonna ask you. And people who were people who were not 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 that I lost them. I had to make a conscious choice to disassociate myself from their lives because it was in the best interest of me mm. and my recovery. And that's not just friends. It's it goes a wee bit deeper than that. And that was very, very hard to do. Uh some people I haven't seen for four years from I was in rehab who I think about probably every day, but is it my best interest uh, to look after number for look after Donald and Donald's recovery? Absolutely. Um, so I had to say, do you know what? I can't be associated with what you're associated with and make that choice. And sometimes, and I think that, you know, because even what I talked about at the start there of what happened, there's a lot of people who I work with don't open up because of that because of the consequences that it might have within a family or whatever. But what I would say is the relationships with with different members of, say, my family or different people who were close to me growing up has been unbelievable. The amount of people who have actually got around me and be like, do you know what? Like I'd show some kahunis to come out and say what you said or whatever what you're dealing with. Um, and I think it's also important to note if then people then do not want to be a part of your journey, then that's okay. Yeah, that's totally. okay. But I, I don't use up energy like hating or disliking or even, you know, I, I just think it's silly. Now, for a long time, I did. My whole life, I did. Even whenever I got out of rehab, there were some times I was going, geez, I wish this was different because I want to do X, Y, or Z. But now I'm like, that's okay. That's their journey. This is my journey. I've good people around me. Someone said to me before, don't know your friends or the family you choose. Do you know, all this type of thing. And, 
So I think that uh, don't be afraid to get to, to come out and talk because there will be people who can replace X, Y, or Z or whatever. And and, and I think back to the point that I made before you were chatting there, see whenever you're comfortable in your own skin on, you can look at that person in the mirror and know deep down your values and what you're about and what you stand for. And if then people don't, then I'm, I'm sorry. Do you know what? Yeah. Because my life and my journey and me being healthy um, and being comfortable in my own skin is far, far more important than trying to get validation or to me to validate or make excuses for for for, for other people. Do, do you know what I mean? T- tough enough subject that, but it's... Yeah, and like, I have an even tougher question to follow up just as I've been thinking there is... Um, like I was thinking, like on an earlier episode, don't like I know when I spoke to Colin Kilpatrick from Tyrone regarding his gambling addiction. Like obviously, life and addiction, be it to drugs, alcohol, or ga- like or gambling, it can actually mean you cause hurt and pain to other people too. And so, as well as you having to make decisions around, kind of, I need to kind of block that people out. There may also be people who then don't want to re was to, to reengage at you because you've caused them hurt or, or them pain. And yes, you might be want we want to seek forgiveness or try and repair that relationship. But there also is times where damage has been done and where there other people are at. And I suppose it was kind of without getting into specifics of who or whatever. But like, was there was there people you lost in that way too in terms of like through your actions and your kind of behaviors during that time, Alan? It's addiction. I might, I talk about it every day. See the the person who's in active addiction. It's not really about me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm the one who's getting it probably relatively easy, sitting in a corner of a pub or sitting in a you know self sabotaging. It's a family disease, and I, I I say that, and not just family, friends, the people who love you, and that just filters into their lives, and they're the ones that are not sleeping at night. You know, they're the ones who are like worrying, Jesus, is he dead? Is he ever going to come home? Where is he somewhere in England that I haven't heard from him in three weeks? They're the ones who are constantly, constantly carrying, worrying. Like so, carrying the worry and carrying the kind of... A hundred percent. And I'm the one who who's sitting there, has a, has a phone in a kit bag in the corner of the house and haven't looked at it in, in two weeks and no, okay. one's ever, no one's heard from me. It's very much a family disease. And I think that's really, really important to note too. And there is different services like Al-Anon and stuff like that where families can go and get help advice for people who are in active addiction but yes absolutely and there's actually whenever i went to kumura obviously we didn't have contact with the outside world but anyone who i sort of thought that i affected or upset or done wrong by i wrote them a letter okay and explained to them what was going through and what happened and why i suppose and 99.9 percent of them people wrote letters back do you know what I mean? And I think that I, I'm probably, listen, there's people who have been, are in active addiction and the, the, the mate just got caught up and like, I didn't have a driving license at the time, mm. for an example. So like I could have very easily get into a car and knock someone down and kill someone or something. And there are things that you can't probably live with or give yourself forgiveness for. Now there was girls involved, you know, throughout that period who I cheated on, girls who, you know, do you know that type of thing? Because I, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. You live in a life of like, dysfunction, right? Like, but ultimately it's like a dysfunction, like you are a dysfunctional life. 100%. So even like, like I wrote Damon's letters, I wrote, so, so that's one of the things that I done is wrote people letters and explain them and apologize. And, and then like, that's whenever I started to build a connection with our Podrick again mm-hmm. through letters. Okay. Uh, my brother, do you know, so your old school, like you're, and sorry for jumping in here, but like you're, right. you're taking the time to sit down and be with your thoughts, kind of reflect back. You're putting pen on paper and posting it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you're, there's a couple of days away because this is, you know, you got to put a stamp on a letter and it's got to get there. 
He's reading it. I'm sure it takes a couple of days for him to do the same thing. So what's that like with him? When that, I suppose the process of like you build it up in your head and you put thoughts to paper down and say, okay, here's my story. Here's my version of it. I want them to understand. I want to build kind of that rapport and like share that experience. But what's it like then when you start getting those letters back on the other side? It's personally, see what you said there. It's, it's mental. See whenever you're posting the letter and then every day you're, you're just waiting, about it. you're waiting, you're waiting yeah. on a, is there any letters for me? And I, I suppose for anyone who's listening that knows my story and want to sort of hear about rehab or anything, see if you have a friend that it's in rehab, write them a letter. Mm. Honestly, you can't write anyone enough letters when they're in rehab because it's the most loneliest place and all you want to know is that people still love you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so just getting them letters back and just building them. And I think that like obviously as a world and a society with social media and all this here and you know like taking photos or voice notes or but there's something so real and meaningful behind a letter yeah i agree you know, like, like, yeah. and on writing and waiting and not coming back and, and i tell you and i see even me and my dad too like see our relationships since then writing letters and being vulnerable with each other on a piece of paper it's just been like and now we're inseparable do you know what i mean like me and Patrick and i very very close me and my dad very, very close, same values, same morals, you know, we're very like, and he, and he doesn't like, he, I used to think that all he wanted me to do was play for Antrim and be the, and like he, we, we don't even talk about football hardly anymore. Do you know, only if there's a match in TV or whatever, it's very much in terms of growing and self-development and stuff like that. So them letters, honestly, even with the girls that I mentioned and stuff too, thankfully, like they wrote back and, and, and things are good and it's all left on a, you know, I'm not, I'm not going on dates with them or anything, like, but it's, yeah. it's, it's left, it's left in a good, healthy enough spot that like I, I'm comfortable with my own skin. And, 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 and do you know what? And I think the big thing is here, I, I had to forgive myself too. Yeah. Instead of getting the big stick out and beat myself up all totally. the time. I had to forgive like myself. And, for yourself. And it helped whenever they forgive me as well. Mm. It was really a big part of my recovery. Like definitely. It's, you know, as, as I'm listening to you there too, though, like I think about, say going back to earlier, we've talked about like, how a variety of things can happen to get you to rock bottom, but then also the path out of there is, is it can be very different. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking of you in treatment where you mentioned the word lonely there, where it's like, so you, how long were you in, how long were you in, in treatment for? Like how long were you based in the three months? So you're three, 90, 90, 94 okay. days. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I'm thinking like, I, I mean, I don't mean funny literally, but like, you spend months, like months and months of if it's alcohol, if it's cocaine, if it's training, you're basically doing all these things to escape and avoid being with yourself and dealing with your thoughts and feelings. And then you're thrown in, and I'm curious kind of what that experience is like to be there for three months, because mine's different, okay? So I'm in like a, I'm in talk therapy where it's kind of an hour a week. So I've got like, mm. I'm popping in. Yes, there's an intense hour. You're emotional afterwards. You're kind of dealing, but you kind of go back out to the outside world straight away again, or I'm going home to my house that night. Did you struggle with that, Alan? Um, oh yeah, like... Um, Do you know what I mean? So you're going into a room, you're being so vulnerable, you're being open, you're being honest, and it's nearly like the world stops for an hour. Definitely. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, Boom, I have to go back out and face all this stuff. So it's a wee, it was a wee different for me, like, you know. Yeah, no, it, de- it definitely struggled. And like, I, I mean, I mentioned masks earlier. And in some ways that process, you have to wear a mask because like I'm coming out of like, and yeah, you plan your counting sessions around like, you know, so I'd hopefully I don't have to go to work afterwards or, you know, if I, am I going to train in later? And you kind of try and mix and match. But it, it, it was hard because like, to be to be honest with you, just sometimes I went, <laughs> actually I think about it now, like let's say I go to, a, I, so I do an hour in there, I'm in my chair, I'm kicking back and we're talking about stuff. Maybe the eyes fill up with tears. Maybe you do cry. 
you're talking and you kind of get that initial release and that kind of buzz of like okay I, I would say like inside there's like these emotions I've dug the shovel in and I've got a couple of I've got a couple of loads out and you kind of walk out feeling yeah no that was good I'm glad I did that and then about three four five hours later let's say you go home you get into your bed that night and it's like bam like it just yes. hits you again you go like <gasps> um and it was nice definitely I lay there barely sleeping a wink just been like trying to trying to process trying to like that was the time it would kind of hit the second wave if you get me mm. um and it was definitely a challenge um but obviously you know and you're backing yourself that the work you're doing is for you and you talked about like mm. your vision earlier kind of what you want to become you know you're investing in yourself and that this is basically like training to become the person yeah. you want um but yeah i flipped that back over on you again like that was kind of a what my experience of it was like but i suppose then what was it like for you in terms of, because yours is obviously a much more intense, like mm-hmm. you've got to break a routine, you've got to break habits, you've got to break situations that you're finding yourself in. So what was that? What was that like? Like, how do you reflect back on that time? So, uh, hell. <laughs> so basically like you go in the, whenever you go in the rehab, like it's the first two weeks is in a detox area. Mm. And I honestly, so there's, we have a courtyard and it's like, maybe 20 meters by 20 meters. And that's the only area you have for outside space. And the thing about recovery is the good thing is you get your feelings back. The bad thing is you get your feelings back. You got to feel them. Yeah. So I had no room. I had nothing to escape these feelings, like nothing. Mm-hmm. So sitting there going, Jesus, don't know, like looking around you, back to the comparing bit, like look at your man, look at your man. And I always associated an addict or an alcoholic with someone lying on the street, you know, on yes. a sleeping bag and the hurry and not, not someone's not my age. And uh, that was very, 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 very tough. Just sitting in them rooms and everything was so slow because I was always a hundred men an hour, right? Who can I get a bag of coke off here? Who can I rob here to try and get this and try and get that? It was just all madness. Um, so actually just slowing down, just sitting there, it was, it was very, very tough. But like I tried, I, I tried the AA meetings and I tried the counseling and I tried all that. And that's why I asked you, was that tough going back out of the real world? Because um, I was just going into these counselors and just telling them what they wanted to hear and leaving and going and fucking getting the drink. You know what I mean? Right. It was just tick the box scheme. So I needed that isolation away from the world to, to, to really like strip myself down and just build myself up like um wouldn't I genuinely wouldn't change it but it's and i think the hardest thing any human being can do is look inwards we're constantly trying we're constantly like if something goes wrong it's his fault or her fault or whatever do you know it's it, like mm-hmm. hold on a minute look at the real problem and that was very very tough and i mentioned there about putting away the big stick i had a big stick for yeah. for the first probably month of my time in rehab like going, honestly, four years ago, you were studying to be a teacher. Like you, 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 you really good at it. I was just, you're a head boy in the school and now you're sitting in rehab part of what, what happened? Like, mm. do you know, so just constantly beating myself up, like the people are hurting all that, but through time and through building yourself back up. And as I say, there are them, we think that you put in place and you go into sister conciliators, you go into rehab or nothing. I left with a toolbox a toolbox and how to deal with different things that were going to happen to me whenever I went back out into the real world. And that toolbox maybe had two or three or four different tools in it. And I suppose now with the more work that we do, and I suppose you may be able to relate to this, the more work we do, the more people we'll have conversations with, the more therapy we do. Toolbox just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And anytime these things or obstacles or anything bad or just indifferent may come yeah. my way because there's a big bad world out there too I can go back into this toolbox and be like I've dealt with this before so, this is how I've done this boom so practically, practically done like for anyone listening like 
what were like what were those things you took away in terms of feeling like you've got either skills or if it's a coping mechanism like what give us an idea of kind of what they are practically then if like when you if you've got to reach in and grab it what is it you're grabbing like what works for you in that situation so the first thing i'd almost got a sponsor okay so it was to get someone i can just bounce things off mm -hmm. and that's just someone who's lived it do you know what i mean getting a sponsor having someone on my side um who you can tell anything to do you know what i mean like yeah. anything um having that um being able to, as you say, like when after the journey and being able to focus on, and you, you touched on it there with the work, knowing that there's a bigger picture here. Um, and I think the more and more of them things happen, like the more, the more I was self-aware, the more I started to go, do you know what? These are just, these are just wee moments that I'm having. This isn't just me. So if I'm feeling really down, I would have been really down for like a week or two weeks or months, maybe. Now I, I'm like, I'm feeling down. Because some there's some days I'd be driving up the road and my wee chimp would come in and say, Don't know, get on the drink. Like you're no yeah, you're nowhere near good enough. What are you doing? You're a fraud. You're this, you're that. And I'm like, put the window down and throw it out. But you know, so it's happened then we things that and it all comes down to self-worth and self-value. And I think Gilmore and Concilios are it's a big place for for building you up like like that. And uh and, and having a wee bit of respect for yourself. Um, but that big thing there, picking up the phone and just ringing your sponsor, ringing, ringing a friend, um, and knowing what you're about in terms of your values. Uh, and that, you know, we're going to have these, as I said, they're, they, they used to be weeks, months, maybe at least go on for a long time. I can get out of them things now and, you know, it might take me a day, but that's okay. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I mean I, and then tomorrow I can just start again. And that's, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that either. OTB GAA. Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, which is part two of my conversation with Antrim Hurler, Donald Nugent. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and a performance and wellbeing consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. Having struggled with addiction to alcohol and cocaine, Donald Nugent spent three months in residential rehabilitation. He is now an addiction facilitator and the founder of Let's Face It. In this episode, we talk about developing resilience, dealing with well-being setbacks, and the challenge of staying well. We also chat about the rise of cocaine in Irish society and the stigma that still surrounds drug and substance abuse. The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. If you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and were impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 and you can also text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, please check out the Samaritans, Pieta House or Quinn Moira. But for now, please enjoy part two with Donald Nugent on The Player's Voice. You go in the whenever you go in the rehab, like it's the first two weeks is in a detox area, and I honestly, so there's we have a courtyard and it's like 
maybe 20 meters by 20 meters. And that's the only area you have for outside space. And the thing about recovery is the good thing is you get your feelings back. The bad thing is you get your feelings back. You gotta feel them. Yeah. So I had no room. I had nothing to escape these feelings, like nothing. Mm. So sitting there going, Jesus, don't know, like looking around you, back to the comparing bit, like look at your man, look at your man. And I always associated an addict or an alcoholic with someone lying on the street, you know, on yes. a sleeping bag and the hurry and not, not someone's not my age. And, uh, that was very, 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 very tough. Just sitting in them rooms and everything was so slow because I was always a hundred men an hour, right? Who can I get a bag of coke off here? Who can I rob here to try and get this and try and get that? It was just all madness. Um, so actually just slowing down, just sitting there, it was, it was very, very tough. But like I tried, I, I tried the AA meetings and I tried the counseling and I tried all that. And that's why I asked you, was that tough going back out of the real world? Because um, I was just going into these counselors and just telling them what they wanted to hear and leaving and going and fucking getting a drink. You know what I mean? Right. It was just tick the box scheme. So I needed that isolation away from the world to, to, to really like strip myself down and just build myself up. Like, um, wouldn't I genuinely wouldn't change it, but it's, and I think the hardest thing any human being can do is look inwards. We're constantly trying, we're constantly like, if something goes wrong, his fault or her fault or whatever. Do you know what? It's it, like, mm. hold on a minute, look at the real problem. And that was very, very tough. And I mentioned there about putting away the big stick. I had a big stick for, yeah. for the first probably month of my time in rehab. Like going, honestly, four years ago, you were studying to be a teacher. Like you, 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 you'd really good at it. I was just, you're a head boy in the school and now you're sitting in rehab. Part of, what happened? Like, mm. do you know, so just constantly beat myself up, like the people hurt and all that. But through time and through building yourself back up. And as I say, there are then we things that you put in place and you go into sister conciliators, you go into rehab and nothing. I left with a toolbox, a toolbox and how to deal with different things that were going to happen to me whenever I went back out into the real, real world. And that toolbox maybe had two or three or four different tools in it. And I suppose now with the more work that we do, and, and I suppose you might be able to re relate to this, the more work we do, the more people we'll have conversations with, the more therapy we do. Toolbox just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And anytime these things or obstacles or anything bad or just indifferent may come yeah. my way because there's a big bad world out there too. I can go back into this toolbox and be like, I've dealt with this before. This is how i done this. Boom. Practically done, like for anyone listening, like, what were like what were those things you took away in terms of feeling like you've got either skills or if it's a coping mechanism? Like what give us an idea of kind of what they are practically then if like when you if you've got to reach in and grab it, what is it you're grabbing? Like what works for you in that situation? So the first thing I'd almost got a sponsor. Okay. So it was to get someone I can just bounce things off. Mm -hmm. And that's just someone who's lived it. Do you know what I mean? Getting a sponsor, having someone on my side, um, who you can tell anything to. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. anything. Um, having that, um, being able to, as you say, like when after the journaling, being able to focus on, and you, you touched on it there with the work, knowing that there's a bigger picture here. Um, and I think the more and more of them things happen, like the more, the more I was self-aware, the more I started to go, do you know what? These are just, these are just wee moments that I'm having. This isn't just me. So if I'm feeling really down, I would have been really down for like a week or two weeks or months, maybe. Now I'm like, I'm feeling down. Because some, there's some days I'd be driving up the road and my wee chimp would come in and say, don't know, get on the drink. Like, you're no, yeah, you're nowhere definitely. near good enough. What are you doing? You're a fraud. You're this, you're that. And I'm like, put the window down and throw it out. But you know, so it's happened then we things that, and it all comes down to self-worth and self-value. And I think Gilmore and Concilios are, it's a big place for, for building you up like, like that. And, uh, 
and, and having a wee bit of respect for yourself. Um, but that big thing there, picking up the phone and just ringing your sponsor, ringing, ringing a friend, um, and knowing what you're about in terms of your values, uh, and that, you know, we're going to have these, as I said, there, they used to be weeks, months, maybe at least go on for a long time. I can get out of them things now and, you know, it might take me a day, but that's okay. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I mean I, and then tomorrow I can just start again. And that's, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, I think like, I think that's such a good point. And it's like, it's like when you're in that situation, like it sounds like you did need, like you just needed a full circuit break to kind of snap it, reset, reboot. And then like, okay, mm. I'm going to start, like I'm going to start moving forward out of here and to kind of leave with, <laughs> like spend three months, like it's funny, like, someone said to me recently, it's like, it's, if you're sitting on your own in the room, like it's easier to look out the window than it is to look in the mirror. Like, um, but you find yourself in a situation where like, you basically have to look in the mirror because like, mm -hmm. that's what it's set up to be for you. Um, and you leave with those skills of like, okay, like I feel like I'm better equipped for that. And I suppose kind of, which brings me on what I was going to talk to you about, like, like a lot of my work right now would be in like mental skills and I would work with people and teams kind of building that toolbox out. Um, and these like skills are skills that equally can help you in life, can help you in sport. Um, and like for me, one of them was like, you know, self-awareness was definitely one. I would do a lot of work around self-awareness. We'd do a lot of work around resilience. We'd do a lot of work around self-compassion. And I always take them back, Donald, to those, like that little triangle that I just use. It's like, I'll draw on a whiteboard. I'll draw my own notebook, my own journal. And it's just my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. And it's like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's the right action to take here? And we've both talked about like months, years of our lives where we would take the wrong action. You'd, hey, I'm going to grab mm. a drink here. I'm going to grab, I'm going to pick up a bag of Coke off something your man over the road there. Or I'd be like, right, I'm going to go absolutely bury myself into a nightclub here and cry, like holding back tears in the toilet. And it's getting comfortable. Okay, what's the action here? And like, when you, when you come to those kind of skills, is there anything that kind of comes to mind for you? Like I know resilience for me was really one of the, say I break it down, okay, resilience, what does resilience look like? And it was like, I'm going to talk to my mom and my dad and my brother. I'm going to talk to my friend about what I'm feeling. I'm going to open up a bit. That's me like having courage, like taking a good decision in this moment. But also I feel like I was always backed up in a way where it was, I knew I could go back to counseling whenever I wanted. Like the shame, mm -hmm. the guilt, that side of it for me was gone. And it just became this, like, I suppose what I'm thinking about, it's a point you just said there was like, do we all have bad days? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like, can you have a bad week? Yep. That can definitely happen. And for me then, if, if a bad week ever became a bad month, I'd be like, right, I'm going to pick up the phone and call my counselor. Yeah. I'm going to go and do a bit of work. The bad day, definitely you feel that you start getting equipped to manage. And then the bad week, it takes probably a little bit more work, but you can get out of it. Um, what was that like for you then in terms of managing that? Because I feel like it is important to say, when we go to rehab or when we go to therapy, people think, oh, good for you. Good man. You got in there. You did the work. You're out. Happy days. Like, how's life You're going fixed. now? But there's also like the real messy, like I call them waves, spiky waves that we're both, we're all dealing and still navigating on a day to day, right? hundred percent. And I, I, I actually, like, I couldn't agree with you more because I suppose, and, and then this is not like putting anyone down. It's probably a bit of naivety even in my part. I thought these three months will fix my wagon and then back to what I said there, I'll be back being the best at, you know, back on the Antrim team and everything. It'll be all hurry furry again. No, it's not, it's definitely not the case. And what I actually done there for a couple of years, particularly over lockdown, 
Alan, um, like for people like me and you, anyone can be a lonely old place. Like, you know, and there's no interaction. You're getting programs and stuff and to do with the county and like running program, me running you know, on my own. back on your own kind of more often. Not happening. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just like, what, <laughs> what, I, what, but what I don't know right up until even like last year, like say at the weekends, say a Friday night. And if I was flicking through Instagram and I seen one of my mates or a crowd of the lads, what I t- touched on at the start of the podcast about not being a part of something, then it was, but what I used to do as a result of that was like straight to Domino's or straight to a pizza shop or whatever. And it was like food. And then you're in this shop, you get a big munch and you're just sitting there, you're watching and you're just feeding yourself because mm. it's nearly like a replacement. Um, it's okay because I'm not drinking. So, and by the way, my pizzas just weren't like a pizza. It was a pizza and then it was a taco chip and it was a milky bar sundae and it was everything right. in between. Do you know? And, and that was my sort of... You're escaping in a different way. Like you've... I, and a, a, a tiny bit like, and I just, I could justify it because I wasn't, you know, maybe taking loads of coke or whatever, mm. but it, it, it was near enough the same thing. Do you know what I mean? I was still escaping what was actually going on. Um, so that took time even after rehab in terms of, and I suppose that's why, uh, I haven't made that sort of breakthrough and being more consistent with Antrim because my weight has been fluctuating a lot. And I've probably only maybe found a proper balance over the last year. Do you know what I mean? And, and then other things like injuries and stuff come along and my, obviously, you know, you can't stay in like all the time whenever you get injured, but I think having that respect for myself. Um, but yeah, that replacement thing that happened for for a long time like I'm thinking that I it's okay but my patterns were kind of the same if you know what I mean so I had to step out of that and be like right what is going on and stuff like that so but what 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 about you even like even after like because you do maybe 10 counseling sessions and then you think right okay I'm in a real good position big thing even in my experience is even when working with people in my own journey complacency hmm. like you know thinking that and and i always call it even now through this experience that i've had is i'm on a journey with no destination like i the day i think that i'm cured the day i think that i'm fixed the day i think that you know i don't need to pick up a phone or i don't need to drop into a meeting i'm done hmm. honestly well can you can you relate that to any anyway in terms of your journey in terms of maybe did you ever get complacent or did you substitute your feelings with different actions or um, it's a, it's a great question. I think, <laughs> so at the start, don't want to go back. I don't think it was complacency for me. I think me was almost probably more pride or ego in that. My first block of therapy, I think my attitude was me and depression in a boxing ring. I'm going to go 10 rounds and I'm going to knock this fella out. And then like, it's gone and I'll be, I'll beat it. And I suppose you kind of have that. And listen, counselor would have talked about it being like yeah listen that's not really how it works and you'd be like yeah yeah but like you kind of don't really want to hear it um, but I'm different <laughs> you're like yeah yeah but I'm doing great though haven't I um, so I remember I kind of got through that first block and I'd piece the puzzle back enough to go cool I think I can bounce back into life here a bit now and kind of go go by myself for a bit and kind of get out of the weekly session ever but it was, it was to be fair it was always kind of I feel like with a view of coming back down the line but I remember it like when depression came back in and gripped me again, like, man, I remember that like floored me. Like really, it was like a double whammy because it was like, oh, I failed again. Like I thought I pieced this back together and I thought I learned some skills and I thought of this, but like now I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Like I can't get out of bed. Like I've tears in my eyes. Like I want to go drinking. I want to like escape from this. Like you're feeling those. It's like, it's, it really was like a double whirl. Um, 
So I remember kind of going back in and I kind of then at that point, I remember kind of like learning to kind of change my viewpoint of like, I suppose, easiest way of saying it was like my well-being, mental health. Like it wasn't this like thing on the outside that only became an issue when it was bad. It was a constant thing that needed nourishment, that needed care, that needed to be looked after. Um, and that's why I'm going to go back to those pillars later. Like if, think, if something's on a slide, like say resilience for me, how I learned about it in the really early stages was, how do I feel out of 10? So I'd be like, okay, if I only feel at three, like do what do I need to do to get help here? Where can I go? What can help me? But also if I've gone from a seven to a six to a five in a window of time, for me, resilience became catching it within two and then doing something about it that could move me back forward. And if that slide continued, it was okay. I need, I need, I need someone else to help me here. I need someone else to guide me here because I can't do this by myself. If that makes sense, yeah. um, and that still that continues, man. Like that's like I'm literally ten years on, on, on from it now, and I definitely, you know, way more equipped to manage it. We'll spot the slides. We'll notice them. But there's also times you go, how am I back? How am I? Why am I feeling two out of ten? Like I thought I know all this stuff. Um, yes. And that's, it's just, a, it's just a journey that's always going. Like life will always find different ways to challenge us. We'll always be tested in different ways and new ways. And like, in terms of, like you say, pandemic, like some of the pillars that are some of the things you rely on are taken away. There's financial pressures. There's all these life finds new ways to test us. Um, and it's, that was, for me, it's that self-awareness, it, but then noticing the slide and resilience was okay. How can I bounce back? And again, in a, like in a proactive way, not in a, I got it. I'm going to bury this. Does that kind of answer the question for you? No, absolutely. And I think even whenever you mentioned even the chart, uh, um, in terms of you know the scale of where you are to one to ten, and I I used to be like ten, and then one, and then yeah. ten, and then eight, and then it was just like boom, 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 boom. It was just complete madness. And I on it, and it, listen, this is what works for me. Mm -hmm. It may not work for you, the next person, but I genuinely just try and stay at a six the whole time. And not getting too highs with the highs or too lows with the lows. And that's a bit back to the point that I made about like what happens on a Sunday at two o'clock is not going to dictate mm -hmm. what happens to Donald the rest of the week. So it's just staying at that six, no matter if I get really good news, you know, it's just like, okay, feel good for that moment, celebrate it a wee bit, but just ground yourself again because yeah. that's a dangerous place for you to go. On the other side, something really bad happens, like an injury. Like I, I got my ankle reconstructed there last year, came back, done all the rehab. Um, Played against Tipperary there a couple of weeks ago. It was like, right, let's go. I'll have a good push for championship. We were away there in a training camp. Two days into the training camp, what happens? Do my knee. And I'm like, don't know, honestly. Like, do you know what I mean? All this. And I, thankfully, it wasn't, it didn't turn out too bad. There's something small in it, but I was really, really low then. And then I was sure. like, oh, hold on a minute. Like, step out and look in of what you're actually doing. Get back to a six and control what you can actually control is, you know, control the controllables and all that. So, I think for me, it's just like staying at that six and not getting just too carried away with what's going on externally, just six internally. And I think that just keeps me, keeps me sweet for now anyway. <laughs> no, and that, I think one of like the great points you made there, Donald, is like, you know, it's about finding what works for you. Like, and it's like, yeah. what works for me, like probably, it probably wouldn't have worked for you. And likewise, what worked for you, like mm. probably wouldn't have done the trick for me. But like, I suppose if you ever find yourself in those situations, like all you have to really worry about is figuring out what works for you. Like you don't have to yeah. like, um, you don't have to solve the whole world's problems. It's just like, okay, like where's my sweet spot here? And you, I know you said balance earlier, which is definitely something I, I would often remind myself of. And then it's like, I suppose like I, I'd be, I'd be a little different to what you just said. If it's being honest, like I kind of, I still do like kind of 
not if it's chase those highs, but like make sure that I'm always like when I have them, when they do come along, that you're like I, I'm aware of it and I I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, because it's funny, like this, you said they could go from a ten to one. Like if think like. Man, that was I, that was me for a couple of years. Like it was like good, 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 bad, 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 good, good, good. Because there <laughs> yeah. was a lack of resilience and there was a lack of self awareness as to what was happening. I was like this ship that was just getting banged around. And if the current was taking me in a good way, it was like great. But then, like when it went bad, it was like, oh, how am I? How am I here? Like this is like, mm. and like I would say, my two lowest points came right after like the, my highest points. Nice. Like yeah. as and I, I, I literally like you can chart them out. And I, I remember charting it like when I wrote my book. I was like. 18 chapters I kind of want to just put like a little dot on like roughly where my mood was out of 10 in each chapter like I just kind of was like mm-hmm. I don't want this book to be like a, to get Debbie Downer but also I don't want it to be like sugar coating and pretending that life was mm-hmm. great I remember chasing it out and like it shocked me like I still have the graph it's on my laptop I still have it like because I joined up all the dots and it was like high boom low like and my two highs were football related like it was playing in Crow Park against Kerry in an All-Ireland quarter final in 2013 it was playing in an All-Ireland 21 final and then the months afterwards, I would kind of unravel to be like, whether I wanted life to match those highs, which obviously it doesn't. Like, to me, like, I kind of changed my ass, my, my mindset towards it. Like, when nines and tens come, it's like, great, enjoy them. Like, because they don't come often. Whereas when I was younger, sure. I feel like I wanted my life to be nine or ten all the time. It's like, this is not like some American teen movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, life's not like that. Most of your life yeah. will be spent I hope between, you know, a four, five, six, seven. And then you, when you get to touch the eights, nines, it's like, yeah, great job. If you get a 10, like, honestly, a 10 is winning in all Ireland. Maybe it's, I don't know, having a kid or getting married. Like, it's those big milestones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a change of kind of perspective for me is like, just been, and also been happy in the middle of the road, you know, like, and then, mm-hmm. like, because it is like that, uh, I suppose it could def- I'm sure it would have tied in or I'd ask you the question, like those chasing those highs, like did that tie in with your addiction as well then in terms of like wanting like not just an escapism, but like to feel a high or to feel a buzz? Was that part of your kind of rationale or mentality around then? Uh, like on the same, like the buzz that I got whenever I took a few lines of coke and was mm-hmm. out and this confidence, very, very similar to the buzz the 10-year-old Donald got whenever he was going on to play a match. Okay. You know, that sort of feeling and you're kind of chasing that. And I think that I, there, you were constantly, and even even from I would get out of rehab, it was kind of like you're chasing, 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 chasing. But it's what funny, were you chasing even the, at that point? Sorry, what were you chasing? Like if to like look back at it. You, well, I'll tell you what I thought. Like, see, even whenever I just got out of rehab, I, what? I, and this is, I, I I used to go out with with some people and sit in the pub, hoping that other people in that pub would look over and go, "Our eyes, big Nugent, like he, he's fair pay to him. He's not drinking." Okay. Like looking at kind of validation The external people, kind like, of validation. Oh, I can't do it. Like, you know, like I can't do it. Look at me, I'm not drinking. I'm like, see now, I wouldn't even go to a pub because yeah. like, I don't even care what other people think anymore. I think that's just through growing and evolving. Or, But like what you're saying there is like, like you were trying, like, at that point, even if you didn't realize it, you were still trying to prove yourself to other people rather than live authentically or live to what you, what way 100%. you wanted to be. Was that, is that right? 100%. Yeah. And like, listen, Again, back to that, <laughs> the big three word, lettered word, ego. Mm. You know what I mean? And now, like, see even what I do now, like, see even this conversation that we're having now, it's, it's genuinely, I know we've talked about ourselves and I've talked about me. It's not even about me. Like, see, let's face it, 
in terms of the company that I set up and the podcast and the talks that I do, very often people are asking me to come and like sort of tell them the story and share my story. It's not about me. Mm. It's about the next person. It's about the next person who steps up and says, I want to get help and I want to better myself. And I, I just think of that person because uh, there's always going to be someone in the room. If people turn up to them things, then there's someone that wants to listen and someone wants to get a bit of help. And that's why I do it. Yeah. Not, not, not the, not the get so many legs or not for people to say, oh, you're doing a great job or you're some man. I, I genuinely don't care because I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, and I think that helps me find that sort of balance. And I, I'm not back to what was said there at the start. Like I don't put my happiness in, in other, in other people's cups or in other places. Do you know what I mean? genuinely fill up my own cup every morning and I'm like if that's not good enough then okay we'll start again the next day and I think mm -hmm. just having that sort of balance and yeah there's something very fulfilling about that because like I'm not on edge or I'm not like do you know what I mean I genuinely just aren't comfortable in my own skin but see see just back on the lose and I think it's only fitting to say this because uh even through the GPA like did you like See, without the GPA, I probably wouldn't be here. I mean, neither. Yeah, yeah, me neither. That, you know, and that's not, that's not like under like planet. That's, that's facts. Like, and if there's any other kind of players listening to this mm. and maybe even like there's, there's, there's GPA reps score and all the counties and sometimes in the community rooms, you're maybe thinking you get a day off, like, and you can yeah. switch off, but see the services that they offer and the BOC 60 and like, like unbelievable. Like, so did you, I, the GPA helped me get into Kiyomura. And then after that, whenever I got out, and we'll talk about that transition. Like I, I went to counseling uh, for right up until last year. And it was through the GPA. Like unbelievable. Um, but I had Aaron Graffin, uh, who who works with the GPA and I on my on my podcast a couple of months ago. And he put it to me perfectly. And I and it's something that even Annie, we absolutely even with me, I used it. He says to me, uh, don't know, when you think about it, like any bad injury or anything you get, he's like, Give yourself a 24 hour window to feel sorry for yourself. Mm. See, after them 24 hours, focus on what you can do about it. Yeah. And that's something that I've just put into practice in my life now. It's just like, right, okay, I have 24 hours here, injury, whatever, go grab a pizza, feel sorry for myself for a day, but it's not, it's not the beyond end all. What controller controllables and just push on and just be like, right, what can I achieve? Like, and something that I, am massively into now and something that I even say, and I said it to the lads there this morning, it was with like, with every setback, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to grow. There's an opportunity to evolve in other aspects of your life. But if it's not sport, you know, there's always opportunities to always get better. It's just not focusing on the bad thing. Look at all the good things that are happening around us. You know what I mean? But no, I think that that's a big, that's an important note there with a, with a GPA. Like what, what way did the GPA help you? Oh man, I'll tell like, I'll, I'll come to that story in a minute. Cause it's, sorry, it's, sorry. It's, it's, it's honestly funny. Like I have, I don't think I've talked about it in a long time, but just as I was listening to you there, I don't, I just wanted to say like, like what I hear there is like actually the importance of like self-compassion, like, and in my work as like performance and wellbeing consultant, like I'm with businesses, I'm with teams. And then often you get a call like, Hey, would you come in and do mental health awareness? Or you get an email about wanting to work on resilience, say, for example, that would, a lot of the time that would be the starting point or like the, the entryway. But it's like one of the first things I do is talk to people about self-compassion, like the act of being mm -hmm. like kind, non-judgmental to yourself. And yes, resilience is a response to like adversity, but so too is self-compassion. And like as a young male, I that wasn't in my world at all, man. I just, it was like, you know, like you got to grind it out. You got to persevere. And because what you described there, like literally is self-compassion. Do you know what? I'm doing nothing today. Like I'm going to, I'm going to binge watch a thing on Netflix. I'm going to order a pizza. And tomorrow when I wake up, my commitment to myself is I'll move forward. 
Like mm-hmm. I'll make, I'll make, I'll make a decision to kind of, and when depression over the years and depression really came back into my life, I always did what you just described. It was, hello, welcome, come on in. I'll be with you for, I'll be with you today. I'm going to be a mess. I'm going to hold, hold me pillow. I'm going to watch TV. I'm not doing anything. I'm not proving myself to anyone. But tomorrow my commitment was, we'll start. And that might, it might've just been tomorrow in the morning, I'm getting up, I'm making a coffee and I'm going for a walk. And I'll go from there. But, um, no, just kind of as you move towards the end, it's like in terms of the GPA, like, so obviously like the whole Player's Voice series has been in collaboration with Bio360, the GPA's player development program. And like, we've had such a wide variety of conversations around those pillars of life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Like this conversation has been so different to everything we've had before. I'm so glad it's now part of the series, but like, my, and I'm so, I'm so like grateful to be able to host this podcast and have these conversations with people. But like it, when I jump all the way back, like to my end, like my beginning of a relationship with the GPA, like I'll tell you the story because I doubt you know this. So like I spent like weeks, like I get an email, like here's the GPA 12, 24 seven helpline mm-hmm. and lead up to Christmas. It's going to be a hard time. Here it is if you ever need it. And I remember looking at the email, I was like, oh, okay, but like whatever. And then a couple of days later, like I have that moment I talked about earlier, like where I, I nearly like, like decide to swerve my car. Um, so a conversation with my parents, I get home that night, kind of eventually open up, t- thanks to them, kind of poking and prodding. And they was like, okay, where are we going to go to get help? And I was like, oh, I actually got this like email a couple of days ago. Let me look at it again. Like, and I feel like at this stage, I don't even know what smartphone I had, if it even had, I think I might have to go get a laptop to check the email. Like, um, Showing your age here, Alan. Like, I, I'm, also, I'm, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a young 32, but like, I, when you jump back to, I think I might have had a black career. So I can't remember, but like, it doesn't matter. But so I remember, it's like, okay. So I said to them, I'm going to call this number. And I was back in Dublin then. I remember leaving my apartment or leaving the house because I was like, don't want anyone hearing this conversation. Like, what am I going to say? Like, I have you had the internal conversation would just go 100 miles, like 100 mile an hour. Mm. Like, hello, I'm Alan Lamara. I'm feeling a little depressed. Can you help me? And you'd be like, I'm not ringing this number. But anyway, long, like, so I leave the house, I'm walking around like the corner and I, I call the number, I press green, body's like so anxious about it, like shaking. And um, man answers like, how are you? Like, how can we help? So I start talking. And basically like long story short, he says, cool, like you're based in Dublin. We've two, sir, we've two places you can go. You can go to this one or that one. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, there's like, he was basically asking me in the north side of Dublin or the south side of Dublin. I was like, north side. And he told me the address. And like, I'm not joking with you the the service like the location of the therapy center was on the street i was living by pure like coincidence i could see the place from my house like i walked by it every day on the way to get a chicken fillet roll on the way to get the bus to college i never knew i saw i think it'd be like this like to be a little sign on the pillar but it was right there um, and it was one of those moments where like it took my breath away and I was like if ever there was a sign from anywhere wherever whatever people believe or what it comes from this place was right there like um, it's still like even like I got to get goosebumps even thinking about it. like yeah. it was such an <laughs> it was such an insane yeah. like moment um, and went in like went in there and like that was the start of my relationship with like so a counselling of a start relationship with the GPA and like you said we you wouldn't be here like I I, I don't I I Maybe there's a, a different path where I find another service, but that was the one that showed up for me and got me out of there. And as well as getting me out of a place of just barely surviving, like they also helped me build up myself into a place where I feel like I can thrive, you know? Like it's not just enduring, it's not just scraping by, like talk about like life coaching, career coaching, like set, help setting up a business. Um, 
like transitioning yeah. out of the game. You talk about all those kind of pillars that Bio360 encapsulates. Yeah. And you think if you did a little graph of like, okay, GPA at the center, like, and all its members, and then you go to the next four bubbles of life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions, and now start drawing out all the lines that come off those, because we're all mm-hmm. different people, we're all on different journeys. And I just think to be able to have these conversations as part of that, to touch on different aspects of challenges, um, it's so... And I think it's so important that players get to, well, they might be driving their car right now on the way to train and might be on the train on the way to work. Like for male and female players to be able to listen to what we've just talked about, all the other episodes, because it definitely didn't exist when I was going mm-hmm. through it. You know, you just, you got like an email yeah. or it was like a newsletter. Um, I think the more conversations we all have, I know you're doing it through Let's Face It and making an impact in your own way in clubs, in like in community groups, in different towns all over Ireland. Um, and I just think it's so important that you're, you are able to do that um, and are doing that because like, you go back to it you asked me about like when I went public I always did it with a view that others would come out to me fresh voices fresh stories even today I've talked about some of my stuff I haven't talked about it in years because yeah. one I've already done it but also other people are kind of doing it and it's like great like that's why I like being on the other side of the mic now and I know made a little exception today just to kind of I felt and I suppose I hope you feel the same to be able to kind of bounce off and explore it. Because I always want to show like, it's not just one side of it. It's like, there's, it's, it's, it's hard and it's complicated and it's complex. And there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like, like, somewhere, like, not, like 100%, like it's like for me to be able to work with teams in my way, like in my own way, in terms of giving back that in regards to like, I would cover six pillars of like well-being, leadership, communication, relationships, mental toughness and high performance and like to be able to give back to people in different ways, individuals, teams in that way, for me, it's like, it's so rewarding for me. Um, and it's something I'm very grateful of. And genuinely, you talk about the GPA helping me like with counseling and support, like me getting my business to where it is today and the work I get to do, they were with me the whole way, man. Like they were there the whole way and it's something I'm so grateful for. Class. That's, that's so, so powerful too. Um, See, see, just the last thing. I know you're probably looking to get wrapped up, like, uh, and even just the, the, the before I move on, uh, like there's tomorrow. Like I have a meeting with Aaron Graffin. Like mm-hmm. he's now coaching me and helping me develop and make that next step. And I just think it's amazing. Like, I, and I am so grateful. And I would advise any any player just to tap into it, even if you're not struggling, even businesses or anything, just just tap into it. But there's a word there you mentioned there. I think, but I, I don't have. I didn't bring a pen with me. <laughs> But about five or six times throughout the last hour or so, we've been chatting with resilience. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what? Define resilience in your. What, what do you think resilience is, or what, what, what does that look like to you? I suppose your journey. I suppose is a, is, a, is a good definition of resilience, practically. But what, what would you define as resilience? For me, it's been able to recognize and be aware of the adversity of the challenge that's coming at you, and then been able to take and have the skills to make the appropriate response, like the right response. Like, I mm. feel like, and I, we, we just talked about, say, from the self-compassion point of view, sometimes being resilient is actually just like, hey, do you know what? It's okay. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, just accept. Throw an ego away. Yeah. And then I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go back at it tomorrow. But that's what it is for me. It's, it's, if I summed it up really simply, it's, it, I always go back to that triangle. Resilience is, hey, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Like, what's going on all around me? And how can I, like, what action am I going to choose yeah. to respond? And that literally, sometimes resilience for me, the only is, hey, 
have a headache. Um, like I'm not feeling great. I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's to me that it sounds silly, but that's an act of resilience in itself. And sometimes with these big words, and I've thrown out a bunch of them as we just talked. Like I've said, self compassion. I've said mm-hmm. resilience. But to me, it's getting them out of the big cloud right down into hey, what's my life today? And bring how how can I take it into my day today in a very simple way? Because most of these skills, like hey. If I wanted to become the best goalkeeper in Ireland or I wanted to be have a better kick out, the only way I'm gonna do it is to practice my kickouts every day. Like mm-hmm. there's no magic. I can't read a book about kickouts and then I'll gee, I, I'm classic kickouts. Like you have <laughs> yeah. to do it every day. And it's the same with these mental skills and resilience is such an important one. Um something I'm really grateful for. And like like any skill, it can get better over time. Mm-hmm. It can get better through practice. Mine is infinitely so much better than it was. But it's also, well, I'll be working on that till the day, like mm-hmm. the day I die. Literally, like I'll always, it can always be developed. It can always be improved. What about you? Uh, I have this thing there. There's something inside me that is greater than any obstacle. So being able to bounce back, basically, I, I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that I have the ability to bounce back from anything. Um, And as you say there, giving yourself time to bounce back, to process, being able to process, being able to uh, show yourself that compassion. And back to, I suppose, what I said there, I think a lot of what we have just discussed there is love, you know, then just being able to love other people, being able to accept love and love yourself. And I think resilience has a massive, massive part to play in all of that. And being able to be vulnerable and not worry about what other people think about you. Um, be vulnerable with the right people, of course, and back to what I said about the people who we surround ourselves with and stuff like that. But that resilience is probably a big part of both of our journeys and mm. being able to just bounce back from the hardships or the stuff that's going on in our heads. But just being good to yourself, do you know what I mean? I, I think that a lot of resilience it comes into that. Not doesn't need to be a big tough guy or being, oh, I'm so resilient and I'm class and I'm missing and that. No, sometimes the best part of resilience is to be shown vulnerability. Yeah. I think anyway. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose the other thing I would just add to that is like that, like so, sometimes the best part of resilience is like, is accepting help from others. Like that's, that's an act of resilience in itself. It's like, okay, you 100%. said, you said vulnerability there. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm dealing with this. I'm feeling this. Like, and I feel like, especially growing up, I think like resilience, you would think, you know, like Roy Keane, Katie Taylor, like, yeah. like, and that's all like from a sport perspective, definitely they're so resilient, but in a practical day to day, it's, I definitely, I think vulnerability is at the heart of accepting help from others. And also like courage comes from vulnerability because then it's like, okay, this is what's happening. There's an acceptance. So it's like, I'm encouraged to move forward, you know? Um, I suppose like based like on the conversation we just had and just kind of probably last point for me <laughs> is like, just, as I said, listen, I'm very fortunate to know like inter-county players, current and past have been listening to and We make these episodes from the perspective of like definitely to appeal to players and absolutely like, I know like there's thousands of others then come in and listen because they go, they want to learn, like learn more about their heroes, learn more about people succeeding in our sports. Like for players listen in terms of like, you're based on your experiences that are maybe driving this to this, like what's the kind of, is there like a takeaway you would like to kind of have or like a, a, maybe it's something we've already discussed that you'd like to repeat just in terms of driving it home? Maybe like the big, the big thing is that I always, like my motto, bottom of let's face it, is be excited about the person you want to become. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're feeling today is not what you, because feelings are feelings. You know what I mean? So depression, like you might be feeling depressed that day, but it's a feeling. 
you know what I mean? It's the same as feeling happy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So just because you're feeling that is you're not the do you know do you, do you know what I mean? So it's be excited about who you want to become, have a vision of what that person looks like and just work towards it. You know, set yourselves maybe small goals, attainable goals. If you can complete them, then what's next? Maybe I can set myself a 90-day goal now. Maybe I can set myself a yearly goal now and just do things every single day to try and complete them with goals and small tasks. But just be excited about the person you want to become and uh, don't compare yourself to other people. Focus on, and I was doing a podcast the other day, instead of focusing on trying to be the best, just be your best. Mm-hmm become the best version of you. And I genuinely believe that I'm just working towards being the best version of me. And that gives me some sort of comfort, some sort of security, because I'm not trying to be as good as you are. Do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be as good as the next person, just trying to be the best version of me. And I think that's really, really, that's my big message. It's just, you do you, like, and stay in your own lane and just, just try and build that, you know, resilience and, you know, self-love to be comfortable in your own skin what what would be your takeaway message yeah like definitely would echo (laughs) like definitely would echo a lot of what you said um and like for obviously from a mental health perspective obvious thing the first thing that comes to mind is just that you know you're never alone and that there's always help yep. there GPA are amazing for that there is other organisations um, across the Ireland of Ireland for anyone that is listening um, and I think I suppose if I was to like just kind of pick out one thing from what we've talked about today um, I think it is that because kind of trusting that self-awareness of like just thinking about what is happening to me, like what am I thinking, what am I feeling and what action can I take? I, I've said it multiple times. I just kind of repeat it because it's kind of something that's informed me on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis for years now and it's kind of helped me get to a place I want to be. And that action is kind of like, that's where those skills come in. And that action is, hey, like what's the resilience? What is my self-compassion? What is my courage? Like what do I, what can I do right now that's going to move me one forward on the scale or stop or stop the slide on the scale and so often we make you know we want to go from two to ten or you want to go from like you know four to eight like just hey what's what just moves me forward here and I think when you do those things like repeatedly that's like that's the that's the key for me and I suppose the other thing I would say is like yeah it's easy to sit here now and we've had such a lovely chat reflecting and stuff and I, I kind of just want to repeat it again. It's like, it's not like that's all in the rear, the rear view mirror and like life's just coasting yeah. now. Hey, life challenges all in different ways. Like, and if no matter who you are, like where you are right now, listening to this, like challenges are going to come. Like it's just, that's literally, it's the one, one of the few things we're guaranteed in life is that we'll all be yeah. tested and challenged in different ways. And just that you're never alone. Um, there's people there to help you. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's probably my, yeah. It's powerful, mm. powerful, and I think even like that the we could go on here forever. But you think about it, like a child, whenever a child is born, you know, all this sort of when's he going to take, you know, when's he going to start walking, and all this here, and there's always cameras around, and whenever that child maybe just takes the first step, and everyone buzzing. But what happens after that child starts taking his first step? You know, the child just running about all of a sudden and walking, and you know, enjoying life. And I would sort of relate that back to even my journey, my mental health journey. That first step, I was probably waiting 15 years to make it. But see, yeah. once I put the first step, I kept putting one foot in front of the other. And that's just what way of life's going now. Like, so just once you make that first step, make the next one and just keep going forward. And I think that's, yeah. But I love that. I really loved it. I feel like we go on for another. I don't even know how long we've been talking for, but it was <laughs> I, really, really good. <laughs> I know. I definitely had a couple like different, like 
kind of, I know we've done, like we have talked about like a couple of those key milestones I wanted to touch upon, like the hitting your rock bottom, like reaching out for help. Yeah. Um, like what kind of you took from treatment counseling, like dealing with setbacks and relapsing. Um, we definitely, I know you asked me about kind of the relationship between sport and mental health. And that I kind of, mm-hmm. if I could finish up on that one, actually, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, because yeah. just in terms of now, in terms of all that you know, all that you've been through, and like I'm conscious, like I, I don't play anymore, like my work, I'm more in the shadows now and I'm kind of around sports, but like I'm never really out front facing. Like, what's it like for you, kind of, like, obviously you're, you're competing, like, if you're in cha- you've just competed league, you're on the championship. What's it like, kind of, mixing and matching your, I suppose, your mental health experiences with, like, elite sport and still trying to compete now? Let's kind of finish on that one. It's, it's, it's been tough, and that's why I was saying there. I think probably only this year I've probably found that balance. But here's the other thing, too. It's not to be on end all, mm-hmm. um, because we have a window here of playing inter-county I'm 26 now being realistic what are there five years I don't know do you know what am I going to do after that do you know you become very 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 soon you become irrelevant <laughs> I'm very 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 lucky that I don't know you won't mind me saying this that since I got out of rehab Darren Gleason's been our senior hurling manager Um, he's had his own journey you know and there's a, there was actually a photo of us in Croke Park after we won the Joe McDonough and we were rolling around the ground. And that was nothing to do with winning the Joe McDonough. It was to do with a level of respect and we showed each other vulnerability. We'll have a, by the way, we have a better relationship probably outside of Hurling than what we do in Hurling. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes down to me not being on the team every week. But <laughs> but uh, I think having, like, and I've been very, very fortunate to have that. But I think that We've, I think we've discussed a lot of that too uh, uh, in terms of like what happens on a Sunday is not going to dictate. Mm-hmm. And there's been nights there, and this is where I put myself first and showing that compassion, there's been nights there where I phoned Darren and said, I'll not be a train tonight because I need to be at a meeting. I need to go to an AA meeting yeah. or I need to go to counselling. And he's been like, hey, do you know what? No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think it's important to note within within our changing room there too, there's a, there's a real good feeling of um, I've mentioned there, it's one of my big, big values is vulnerability. And we can be vulnerable with each other in the changing room. And you have people like Neil McManus who, like, we'd be best of mates now. Mm-hmm. And we can step in the changing room and be vulnerable with each other. And I think that only sort of creates a culture uh, of the get- togetherness. And I think within a, even within a team setting too, within sport, if you can maybe even sit in a circle. Remember remember in school, uh, when you were a kid, you used to have circle time, you used to pass the thing around and then you used to say whatever, sing a song or whatever. But I'd be big in the, and I'd love to even maybe talk to you after about like even like setting up like vulnerability groups or something. Because like if we're being vulnerable and, and, and sharing with our teammates, because you're just in training, you train something to eat out the gap and you don't really get to know the people. So if we have these vulnerability groups and we're sitting and sharing our experiences and, and, and maybe, you know, such and such a granddad the other week, I didn't know about it, that he's going through such a tough time. He has to take such and such to the hospital every week. We don't know all these things. But I bet you my bottom dollar whenever you go out on a Sunday after these people have just been so open and honest with each other, you do anything for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big part of maybe sport. And I think sport is kind of going that way. I know it's in the, in the Aussie rules and stuff, they're sort of tapping into the stuff like that. And no, I'd be very, very, very passionate about that. And maybe maybe interlinking both of them because there's a lot of people suffering. Um, there's a lot of people in changing rooms. There's a lot of people sitting on their phones in the corner of changing rooms or the back of the buses gambling on their phones and stuff like that. It's just creating that safe place. And why not do it? And I said it at the start of the podcast, we're so, so, so lucky that we have a community like the mm-hmm. GAA. Like, we're so lucky. And why not tap in there even more? 
I think that's such a powerful, like, um, like, yes, we look at results and we look at, you know, who won this trophy or who won that league yeah. or whatever. But underneath it all, like, I, f- I feel like a, 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 for a lot of players, it's like there's a, it's a sense of kind of belonging and connection and mm-hmm. then that support network, just by whether it's like having the crack, which is like in the good way of like just like having a place to laugh and joke with lads, but also then just feeling that like, you know, you're not on your own. I know Orla Finn that was on our last episode who played with Corkley, she said a quote that really sticks with me of like, just when you're being part of a team, like you never feel like you're alone. Like you always feel like you have something, someone around you and different experiences. Um, it's like, yeah, no, it, it's it's powerful, man. Do you know what I actually, I think people are, if they're listening to this, they're going to be like, will this fella ever stop talking? But I feel like, there is one. There is one other question I wanted to ask you because I feel like it's quite topical, and like you've obviously had your experience in terms of like cocaine in Irish society right now. And I know you'll see you'll see treads and you'll see stuff in terms of it in the GA as well. Like, what's your kind of what's your kind of insight or perspective on like cocaine's role in Irish society at the minute and kind of how it's impacting? I was going to say GA dressings, but I mean it realistically, it's how it's impacting society and culture in general. You know. Um. It's easier to get a bag of cocaine now than what it is to get a packet of cigarettes. Like, I'm sitting in the pub, say, theoretically, and I'm ordering this bag of coke. The boys bring the coke in for you. Nine times out of ten, you don't even have to pay for the coke. So you get it on tick or whatever. And then you're just getting more and more or whatever. And then the next thing on a Tuesday, these boys are wrapping your door saying, where's this money? And you don't have it. And then that's just opening up another kind another of worms. spiral and scramble. hundred percent. And... The other side of it is, and you know, for people who maybe are a wee bit naive or a wee bit blind to it, see when there's boys going out and drink and they're out to drink maybe two, three, four, five days. How many times have you tried doing that? Mm. And it, do, do you know what I mean? People can't drink for that period of time without taking cocaine. Do you know what I mean? And I like I like I like to say I'm a good enough drinker in my day. Do you know what I mean? And I could not have drank for longer than a day without. Right. A couple of hours without mm-hmm. tapping into saying I need a bag of coke because it keeps you going and it keeps you going and it keeps you going. It's scurry and it's rife and it's and it's like I'm not a hypocrite, so uh, I don't go telling people not taking coke or anything. Like that. I find like people find out for themselves or whatever. But I would nearly go as far as saying it's probably near enough every GAA club in the country, and it's scurry. It, it really, really is scurry. And it's not just like the fact that people go out and think this is a laugh and have it and stuff like that. It's 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 a consequence of it. It's we're getting this stuff on tick and there's drug dealers then getting involved and it's it's just not it's just it's rife and it's scary and it worries the life out of me. And I suppose that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is yeah. trying to create that platform that do you know what? You can go out, have a few beers with the lads, but lads, go home and go to work on a Monday morning. Like mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like you don't need you don't need to do all this madness of coke and ease and everything, but drugs, coke and I stand by it like it's far it's, it's easier to get it's it's easier to get a bag of coke than, than going because you have to go in this shop and get cigarettes and pay for, do you know and all this so it's easier to get a bag of coke than what it is to, to get a bag of cigarettes and then that 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 worries me like yeah. even for, even the difference between me four years ago than I it's even it's 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 tenfold it's, it's far far worse than it and I like how, how are we going to end it? But me and you won't, you know, through this. Mm. But what we can do is try and create that sort of awareness is that you don't need to take the coke or you don't need to do that to, to, to gain confidence or, or to get validation from other people. You know, do what's right by you, not just to fit in the friend groups or be cool or whatever, all that nonsense. It's, it's just not worth it because I never thought in a million years, and I know some of my friends, some of the people around me would always be like, ah, sure, that not happened to me. 
I was one of them people and yeah. within a very, 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 you know, short period of time, <laughs> I was, it did happen to me and I, I couldn't live without it. Like, no, I, I, I did, I meant to touch upon it earlier, so I'm glad I kind of, mm-hmm. I asked you just before we finished up, Donald, because like, I do think as well, I'd agree with a lot of what you said there in terms of like, it's almost like a dirty secret or an unspoken thing in GA, like, and I say GA, but like it's communities like all over society Ireland. Thing, yeah. Sometimes people think like cocaine was traditionally like a, an urban drug if you're in a city, but like, I can pop into, I can go to Cavan tomorrow, you know, and walk into a pub and I know there'll be people there. There's cocaine around me in and around the bars. Like, and same, mm-hmm. like, same as like where you are. Um, what's kind of, and I know the work that you do is in terms of promoting awareness of that and promoting understanding of kind of helping people make more informed decisions when the time come. So where do you think the rise of that has kind of come from and kind of what's, how can we kind of, combat that or what can we do as like an organization or as teammates or as to kind of help reduce problems that stem from it i appreciate that's a big question uh, but i like listen i'd be a big firm i'd be a, a firm believer of you don't know until you know hmm. you know and then a lot of the people within ga clubs committees think they know what's going on in clubs but they don't really know do you know what i mean and i think it all just comes from awareness and i want to save the world no do you know what I mean? The old saying room wasn't built in the day, but it's trying to sort of end that stigma. And a lot of this, it's <laughs> a whole other podcast this about crime addiction and active addiction and stuff. There's a reason behind why these people are doing this. There's some sort of insecurity within them. Mm-hmm. It's how they view themselves. And I, I think it's just creating awareness. People like you, people like now McNamee, like coming out and, and Colin Kilpatrick and all, I just think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Coming out and being so vulnerable and saying, do you know what? Axe he was uh, and like on the steps of Hogan Stanley from Sam McGuire two years ago, and now he's coming out and being so vulnerable and open and honest. But look where it took him. Look where it took him. These things can take us in the dark, 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 dark holes. Look where it took me. Like it, honestly, like and and even to put it in the perspective and and the, the societal issue and all this year, there was twelve people in my group in rehab, and six of them are dead, four of them are back using, and there's only two of us left. Right. But then a three and a half year period. So uh, I'm not on here to say like, you know, oh, this is, this is how bad it got, but it's sweet. I went to rehab and fixed my wagon and everything was okay again. No, do you know, there's the success rate. Like there's there's 50% of those people in my group are dead now as a result of of, of, of relapsing and they're back on and, and drinking drugs. And those people, some of them are my age. Do you know what I mean? So that sort of idea and concept that I, it'll not happen to me or whatever. It can, it can happen to the best of us. And no matter how well you think your life is, and you know, even in terms of your job, Hitler, where you come from and all this here, it only happens from people from depraved areas. It's all nonsense. It can happen to any of us. And I think awareness and what we can do as a, as a community, um, within the GAA especially is creating, creating more awareness. And there's a whole big stigma attached to it too. People are afraid to talk about it. People are afraid to bring it up. There's a whole Why big Why do you think that of, is? Um, even some of the talks that I do, Alan, like, uh, even see even my events, I have to, I publicize my events now as wellness events and put different things within them, them events, like sports nutrition mm-hmm. or whatever to make it look, not make it look because it is, but I have to make it inclusive for everything to get people into the room. See if I have an event saying drugs awareness. Yeah, and I've noticed this over the last year. See the amount of people who don't turn up because they're afraid of Being maybe associated with it. Yes, Jesus, Donald was in that room now the other night. Right. He must be on it. 
you know, there's still some sort of stigma attached. Why? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that can only be broke down by the more people just coming out and just saying, you know what? Let's normalize it because <laughs> it's very, very normal in pubs. So let's normalize us having problems because most of us, most, most people who are taking it can't get out of it, you know? Um, but there's an awful lot of work to be done on. There definitely, it's definitely mean. is. And I suppose that's why um, you can probably feel the passion mm. <laughs> of it, you know, out of me, like, because it's, it's scary and I can see where it take, can take you. But as a result of that, back to the stat, like there's, you know, 80% of, of the people who I was with are, are either dead or, 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 or back on it. Like, and that's, that's scary. Like. That is scary, Don. It's like, it's, um, like I just, I'm, I'm glad we kind of got to like just touch upon that because we we both agreed like it's 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 everywhere, it's all around us, and it's like I suppose in my head of thinking like cocaine, like some people like it'll be alcohol is kind of a gateway to it. So you're out on a night out, and maybe you're a couple mm -hmm. a couple of beers deep before you make that decision for the first time, or but also then I go back to that kind of the thoughts, the feelings, and the actions people can choose it to kind of have it as escapism at those early stages before you really get like hooked, and I've just been more aware of those, I suppose what decision are you making at the time? And then kind of, as you said there, what are the repercussions? And it's not like, I know you or I aren't sitting here saying like, say no to drugs or don't do this or don't do that. But it is just that awareness, the educational piece. So people get to make more informed decisions at, you know, um, at different times of their life. And that those numbers you did, you said there are scary. And I just kind of want to finish up by saying, thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing, I suppose, your story and your own journey, but also then how you're using kind of your past to guide you in both the present and help you kind of plan and move towards the future. And the very best to look with all you're doing off the field, good luck in the championship in the summer ahead. Um, and just thank you, thank you very much for joining us on The Player's Voice. I feel like it's a very unique and special conversation. I'm glad to have been part of it with you. No, it's been an honour and here right back at you, Alan, because listen, you were one of the first people to sort of put out a platform that it is okay not to be okay and to come out and talk about how they're actually feeling and there's people like you who got this thing going and listen, it's about the next person, isn't it? And I think that, like, thanks so much for having me. It's been, it's been a great conversation. It's, some of it was hard hitting, um, but even, you know, we haven't spoke that many times, but I can't help but feel proud of you and what you have done and what you're achieving now, like, so fair play to you too, like. And thank you very much, Don. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Player's Voice. The Player's Voice is a podcast that's brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our series now by searching The Player's Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. There you'll find previous episodes with leading inter-county GA players like Neil McManus, Niall Morgan, Vicky Wall and Ashing Thompson. Remember, if you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and were impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, please check out the Samaritans, Gaeta House or Quinmoira. Thanks for listening.